Hello and welcome to Got the Runs, the podcast with all of the sexual chemistry of. Okay, so it's your, it's a woman from the distant past and her brother, but it's actually her quotes. son. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a truly wild. Uh, plotting element that i'm sure we will discuss i mean oh we'll be discussing yes we'll be discussing (laughs) i almost want to be like maybe we should cut the uh cut the paper girls talk short just because i feel like we're going to be reiterating a lot of things we've said in the first two episodes but Uh, we'll see well maybe i'll say this the guy knows how to stick a landing (laughs) knows how to end a comic book Ooh, that's interesting. I have some thoughts on that. All right. But yes, we are covering Paper Girls, uh, issues 21 through 30 today. Uh, I don't have the creative team in front of me, but it's the same creative team as I said in the last episode. And we have come, David, to the end of our miniseries on Brian K. Vaughn. It truly... What a long, strange trip it's been. When did we start this? Oh, Oh, I mean, I won't even get into recording dates and things of that nature, but... It's well, been, I'll what, tell fif- you that 15 episodes? Yeah, we just released the first Runaways episode, which is mm-hmm. number f- six? <laughs> seven. Number seven. So mm-hmm. we still have all of Ex Machina, all of Saga, another Runaways episode, and Paper Girls to go. So yeah, I think 15 sounds right, at the very least. It's been quite a journey. Uh, our next miniseries will not be as long which we will announce uh i suppose at the end of this episode and we will also give our final thoughts on the bkv it's it's crazy just looking at the list of episodes right now it's crazy that we did three episodes on saga and three episodes (laughs) on this comic Uh, we can't be stopped we can't be contained much like miley cyrus in the early 2010s i want to say can't can't be be tamed. tamed (laughs) <laughs> that would be a good song title but yeah so maybe we should start with uh our our speedy plot summary which i think had had some big success last episode mm, we, we did uh better the first time i think yeah i think i think we did the first one in about 60 seconds and then the second one was maybe more in the five minute range with some with a few tangents in between but i'm going to maybe i'll take a stab at this i don't good luck i'm not prepared per se but okay so do we want to just go through the whole thing since they're kind of interlinked yeah i think we have to okay so we start in future cleveland where the robot uh that from the last arc has landed them we're in the 22nd century we find out right it's like 2171 or something like that Mm, yes something like that do they do they put a hard date on it oh they ask what year it is yeah they ask what year it is and it says the Tree of Knowledge, a uh, powerful metaphor there. Well, that's how we opened number one. <laughs> so they go to the library, which I believe I predicted, or I predicted something of the nature that they would do some research and find out what had happened in the past, which has mixed results, I feel like. Mm-hmm. We find out that Wari is also in the future. She is, uh, as we alluded to earlier, <laughs> Saying, posing... <"Wah-ha." laughs> <laughs> no, this is... <laughs> that's what you alluded to last episode. <laughs> Yes, wah. Um, she's posing as Joppa's older sister. Uh, we get sort of an, an initial explanation of the events that we saw in the first issue, which is basically that it's kind of like the reveal 
and I won't get into talking about it yet, but the reveal is sort of like, it's a bit of like an O, which is that the initial events of the first issue happen because Joppo and the old timers detect that like the paper girls are sort of like in this time slipstream and causing a ruckus, I suppose. And so they send back like an army to eradicate <laughs> that time zone or, you know, to, to you know, wipe, wipe everyone. Yes. Well, he, I think he's confused and under the impression that they are teenagers. Right. And then at that same time, Mac and KJ go to a hospital uh, and take a doctor hostage in order to cure them of her cancer because they find out at the library that leukemia has been eradicated in this timeline. But it's then found out that Mac's cancer isn't leukemia. It's a rare cancer caused by time travel. We also find out that there is some connection between Joppo and the edit- editrix editrices, <laughs> I suppose would be the plural. Yeah, uh, a million dollars if someone can explain to <laughs> which... me what that connection is, but yes. <laughs> Yes, which I believe is never explained, uh, or, you know, never explained in detail, obviously. They go to the top of some tower in order to go... Th- it's it's the same, you know, the, the folding that we see uh, a few times, I think, where it's, you know, it's at the top of the tower, and it sort of constantly stays open and shifts through the time zones, I guess. And so... Aaron finds a message from future Aaron, not 2016 Aaron, but future future Aaron, uh, which tells her to like, you know, go at this precise moment. So they all try and meet there. Uh, Tiffany from 2000 saves them from, uh, you know, getting shot by a cop. And then she apparently explodes. And then the girls go through another time hole and get separated across time yet again. I won't talk about the Halloween costumes yet, uh, because I have a lot to say about those. Um, so, but that's... well, they, they get flung to... So, Mac is in the 1950s. No, KJ is in the 1950s. KJ is in the 1950s. Mac is at the end of time. Which, although, I'll say, so KJ is in the 1950s cosplaying as like the 1930s like those kids <laughs> yeah. those kids look like they are like <laughs> extra extra wall street yeah. in shambles there's some newsies ass looking kids <laughs> for sure so kj is in yes 1958 i believe it is mac is at the end of like human existence like 5 billion ad yeah and, then, and there she also finds Dr. Bronstein, who she finds out is suffering from the same illness that she is and basically wants to, you know, come to the end of things, see what's up, uh, die peacefully. And then Tiffany is at, in the other, in a future future where the war has ended and she meets clones of Aaron and two clones of Aaron, a clone of KJ, and then Tiff 2000 who we find out was actually scooped through a time hole. Like, <laughs> truly just like a classic BS. <laughs> like, oh, actually, before I died, I was scooped away. <laughs> I was plucked from the timeline at that exact moment. Yes. Yes. And then Aaron, what happens to Aaron? Aaron uh, goes... Aaron goes to like 2017. Like, you know, the present, essentially, yes. right? Yeah. Maybe like 2018. Yeah. Something, something, basically like, yeah, the present at the time that the comic was coming yeah. out is the sense I get. And then, so the main sort of thrust of the plot is with Tiffany because she has to communicate with the other paper girls using like Cerebro, basically. Well, using like the Apple 
device that that started it all. Right. But it's like time cerebro. Yes. And so she has to... (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So we knew already... (laughs) We knew already that that thing was some kind of, like, brain computer because Dr. Bronstein used it to, like, uh, put a mind whammy on the cavemen. So we knew already that it was some kind of, like, brain computer. She is tasked with using it to... Okay, <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so convoluted. The clone Kakadre and Tiffany 2000 basically explain that they have been using this machine to, like, send messages back in time through dreams by, like, doing extemporaneous, like, psychic implants, basically. But that yes. it works better when you use someone who is like as close to the same point as you are from in the time stream as possible. So they want yes. OG Tiffany to send the communication back to the other girls to go <laughs> to go to the the basement where they originally right. found their thing. But it's not entirely clear why because so basically like part of the explanation that we get is this future that Tiffany is in is like after the war with the old timers has ended. And essentially well, that yeah. this is like what they need to do to end the war. But then we find out after the fact that it's like, they don't win the war. They just cause a truce. Mm-hmm. And then we, we get, we get more particulars on that a little later, which I'll save. But yes, basically the idea, the point is that they, the goal. Oh, I think I get it. I think the goal of the <laughs> clone cadre is, to get the girls back to their own time and wipe their memories in order to basically like remove any mess ups in the timeline or, you know, remove any loose threads so that they can then enact this truce. But then when Tiffany uses the brain machine, she either causes or experiences (laughs) large like temporal rift which like tears everything asunder. I and, believe you know, it's... The, the machine causes it like every time. Right. And that's where like Uwari and the three cavemen like got all their gadgets that they wear. That's like we see we see the rift when that scene that we debated about like what exactly was going on there. If they were being communicated with turns out no. But uh, but yeah, they they have been causing it every time they use it basically. Right. And then a bunch of stuff happens in an issue that I could not track. And basically, the thrust of it is they end up in, what, the 1800s? Which is, like, neutral ground for them. It's still in, you know, Stony Stream. At which point, they agree to this truce, which entails that no basically no one will ever, like, time travel again, basically. In order to just basically end the, end the war, end any kind of time meddling, end any kind of further yes. time shenanigans. Uh, which both sides agree to. I've got a lot of questions about this arrangement. But then Joppo, he he shoots well, someone. So Joppo, right? Joppo doesn't. Joppo shot an editrix before yes, the... before they all got sucked to the 1800s for the like big tête-à-tête. Yeah, he he shot an editrix and it like sprayed out a bunch of geometry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not exactly clear, like what happens, what that that causes them all to end up in the 1800s. So Mac well, jumps in the 
like escape pod from Dr. Bronstein and gets like diverted from where she was originally planning to go. Yep. KJ, I don't, I don't understand what happens with KJ. Like a portal opens and she walks through it. Like who? I think who, that's. I don't, well, I don't you know, it. it's safe to assume that some of the the clone cadre uh, were involved in that. I guess so. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> so what what happens here? So basically, yes, they make this agreement, and basically everyone, the girls are upset because they don't want to lose their memories. Yes, in order to enact this, they everything will be erased. They will wake up the morning of the November first uh, with no memory of what happened, meaning like. They won't remember any of their experiences. They won't remember that they had this friendship and all this, all these things that happened. Which we have already known to be true because both Aaron and Tiffany, future versions, have said that they never saw any of the other paper girls again after that morning. That, that fateful morning <laughs> that kicked off right. the series. Yes. Um, and then also... Wait, Joppa doesn't get killed, does he? No. So... so... <laughs> Joppo shoots an editrix, a, like a wild editrix, in, when they're stuck in the fourth <laughs> dimension. Uh, a like wild editrix breaks in because the time rift like rips open the cathedral and one enters and he's like, I don't know what these things want. Pew, pew, pew. And that is what causes them to get like warped to the 1800s. And so they propose this this truce he's like i'm not doing that and then they bring another editrix through that like subdues him gives basically him the, gives him the memory bomb yeah uh, and he like you know obviously <sighs> discovers some some discrepancies in the story he has been told vis-a-vis his his raising <sighs> which we'll discuss this <laughs> once we finish <laughs> our summary i'm sure but yes he it causes a change of heart he agrees to the terms and then they they do the brain whammy and everyone goes back where they belong, basically. Yes. And so the final issue is everyone, you know, as as I said, the girls are back on November 1st. Like, they're late for their paper routes, basically. And so they all go out on this route. They all sort of end up together. They hang out. Um, the one <laughs> major, I'd say, plot development is... <laughs> That Wari in a station wagon, <laughs> like, stops them from being hit by a car. Wari <laughs> drives off. Wari it's is a very funny shot. What I can only describe as Sugar Mama energy in <laughs> that photo, wearing like huge blackout sunglasses. Is that? I thought that was like a Chicago Bears C, but no, I guess it's, it's just a, it's like a Cleveland, Cleveland Cleveland baseball team. Right. Okay. Uh, C. Yeah, so she's she's repping <laughs> Cleveland now. She's got huge sunglasses. She's like guardian angeling them from the same. I think it's the same beat up old station wagon that they like use to drive Aaron to like be right. rescued. Yeah, like when she gets shot originally, way back when. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that happens. That's yes. just, this is part of it. And then we conclude more or less with the, so the girls all like hang out at the playground. They smoke cigarettes. They sort of ruminate about life. Tiffany decides that she is going to quit the paper route. Uh, and then, you know, they all split up and go their separate ways. But then for whatever reason, you know, as well, this, we know the reason we do. Wait, hold, yeah. hold on. We'll talk. 
We'll talk about this later. But by some twist of fate, Aaron decides that she is not going to, you know, give this up. She invites all the girls to ride together a little longer, and they all basically ride off into the sun rise. And that's the end of the comic. That is the end. So that took what about about ten minutes? Well, let's have a look at the old time (laughs) tracker here. Yeah, we're we're flirting with uh, twenty here. Okay, so how do we want to approach this? Okay. Because I have some notes about flowers in the attic. I want to talk to you about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but there may be more pressing matters at hand. Okay, so what? What's <laughs> what's the deal with this? I truly was baffled by that. I mean, like, this is like, to some extent, this is what the book has been. Uh, you are sending me an... Oh, I see. You have sent me what I believe to be a Paper Girls timeline. That's correct. <laughs> it has Which roughly I, 50 yeah, points on it. Yeah, I feel this it. breaks down a lot of the strengths and weaknesses of the book. Seeing the timeline in full, it, it is so convoluted. Now, to be fair, this is probably unnecessarily detailed. It chronicles like every single time that anybody travels through time, including like incidental... like not initiated by anybody like accidental time transportation of any kind but there's so much time travel (laughs) okay here's what here's where i want to start with let's talk about so like the big you know the climax basically is joppo agrees to have the truce here are some of the million questions i have about that (laughs) number one do the clones, like the future clones and Tiffany, are they the leaders of the teenagers? And if no, what, how do they have the authority to stop the war? Like, how how do the teenagers know that they're not going to time travel anymore either and they agree? Like, does, aren't they still just going to be doing that? That makes no sense to me. And if they are the leaders of the teenagers, why doesn't anybody say anything about that? where are the other te- like where are the teenagers basically like why are why are any of the like you know black like swaddled yes for dc suffering uh people who have been like emblematic of the teenagers through the whole run why aren't they around if so yeah so that's question number one question <laughs> number two question what exactly <laughs> makes Japo change his mind yeah i feel like one of the biggest reasons that this is so confusing is because everyone's motivations have always been so opaque so like we never quite get an answer of like what exactly everyone wants to do like we know that basically it's like it's like the conservative versus liberal debate over time travel like is it something that should only be used in like specific situations where you can be absolutely sure that you're not going to alter the time stream. Like Joppo talks about the idea that like, if you go right before the meteor hits the dinosaurs and like pull a bunch of pterodactyls out, like that doesn't make any difference in the time stream. So you can do it. Um, and then the teenagers are kind of just like, who cares? <laughs> we are like Robin Hood. Huh? <laughs> you can see that part. When KJ meets uh, Jude, he says that they are like one of their folk heroes. Oh, Robin yes. Hood. Well, he says he's like one of their super gods, which yes. I I enjoyed that little uh, the little pull. But yes, so and so like we, I don't think we ever get like at least to my recollection a convincing explanation of like what the teenagers are doing, what their goal is, why they like why <laughs> it's like we're 
we're meant to like see them unequivocally as the good guys. And I feel like in the first episode, we talked about this idea that like, I feel like we're headed for a reveal where it's like, oh, the teenagers are actually like either not as good as they seem or they're the actual people who are like doing the damage and like we are not on their sides. But that never really happens. Well, we like never see them again other than like KJ, like KJ meets Jude. But like that they don't talk about any of that stuff. And like, yeah, he, he's just sort of like a chill dude. <laughs> yeah, there's no but, I think. So he describes their mission statement. Uh, speaking of Robin Hood, as stealing from the greedy past to give to the needy future. Now, I assume that when he's talking about the greedy past, he's basically talking about the old timers who are like policing time travel. But no, but, but he's also but the reason they're there. Like they, when we first meet them, he steals Stephanie's walkie-talkie, and it's like, yeah, but. yeah. I think that is what he means by stealing from the past to give to the future. That that is like they are they. It's it's like a tenant situation. You've seen I tenant, do, right? Yeah, I've seen tenant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I don't get sense. about it. What, what is he going to do with a walkie-talkie in the year seventy thousand? <laughs> like what? Is, well, he does say what that. has happened to the state of the world that he's like gotta get this 1980 walkie-talkie 1988 era like two two-way radio he does specifically say that they have some kind of crystals in them they do have so yeah they do have some kind of crystals like in cathode them. Like, whatever is it, so it's like a resource like scarcity thing is that what we're meant to believe i think so yes not made clear to me i feel <laughs> and i think i think one of the problems is that like even though i think the old timers mission is also opaque but at the very least there is a joppo who can like even if he's sort of like speaking in riddles and you never get like someone just being like okay here's how it all works here's at least someone who like presents their point of view and can give you information yeah and even the like teenagers like yeah exactly Whereas with the teenagers, it's there's never like, and the, again, like that sort of gets to your idea of like, what are the clone cadre, as <laughs> I've now decided to call them, like what what are they to the teenagers, and they are the closest things that we get to like any kind of point of view on the teenagers, but also like they seem to be sort of like they're like the I they they represent the concept of appeasement, <laughs> where it's like <laughs> yeah. we will end the war, like basically like one one sort of like twist moment or like whoa moment is like we never said that we won the war we said that we ended the war just like what difference is that yeah like i guess who cares like i tiff, t- so tiffany feels very betrayed by that it seems and i'm like what dog do you have in this <laughs> fight like who gives that like you're from 1988 you're gonna be like <laughs> gonna be like, like what is the dead by the time this even like becomes a thing so like if they want to end the war through like stalemate or truce like who cares well tiffany specifically she is not she will be well yeah that's in the future that's but like but what is what is the functional difference between winning the war and ending it yeah i guess is my question it seems like so this is another point of confusion is like does tiffany think that the teenagers like they're they're pro teenagers basically because the teenagers save aaron's life but i'm like but but like it doesn't seem to me like they have ever thought about or engaged with like the philosophical mission of the teenagers that she would be like, it's not good enough for the war to end. The teenagers need to win. And it, why do they need to win? What are like, we have, we don't even understand what they're doing. 
And also, like, what, yeah, like, what, I just truly, like, my question is always just, like, what, like, what does winning even look like for them? And also, like, they're, like, they're just, like, allowed the, to travel, like, unimpeded and, and, you know, maybe have some, like, rules and regulations about how significantly or, like, how disruptively, but by and large, they're able to just sort of, like, do what they want. Like, I don't, I don't know. I guess. And, and like, the clone cadre, like, they live in a time after the war has ended and they seem to be like like i think the there's sort of like some suggestion that it's like well like life is difficult for them or like that they're living under like adverse circumstances certainly right. compared to the yeah. future that we see in like 2171 or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but then tiffany is like oh like i've lived a happy life here and so yeah, it's I, it's like, like it's different like there's obviously yeah we see them go underground it is slightly post-apocalyptic but it's not like you know it's it's not the worst thing i've ever seen yeah which i guess is sort of their point that like this is this is what like their truce looks like and like in order to basically be alive that this is sort of the move that they have to make but yeah i uh i don't know i don't know and then so do we want to since we're sort of diving digging into the the intricacies of the plot right now do we want to talk about the editrixes and what their yeah, role yeah. in this is so yes i do because that is like maybe the most opaque part of it to me so joppo we come to understand mostly through things that he says like never like in an exposition like a blatant exposition way mostly things that he says like but i thought but not like but i thought here's the whole like thing about the etrixes just like one sentence of like but i thought so he thought that he was selected by the editrixes or the editrices i guess to be like the custodian of the timeline basically Mm -hmm. and that's true (laughs) like that is what happened (laughs) this is why I i get very confused again about his whole thing and that, like, the arrival of the Editrixes is yeah, so what he, he thinks, created time travel? Yes, he doesn't think that time travel was invented. He thinks it was, like, basically, like, a gift from the Editrixes or the Editrices or whatever. <laughs> who were, like, here's how you time travel, but here's the rules and you have to follow them. I, I, like, I just don't... There's We're missing, like, ten issues <laughs> that explain everything not directly related to like the paper girls because i'm like okay but so so if dr bronstein invented time travel why are the editrices here at all like why did they come like, did they what come? are they <laughs> yeah. well they're they're like fourth dimensional yeah. beings i guess yeah but, but so, it's like uh, what is what is their lot in this like are yeah. they sort why, of prevent- why, why did they come why do they care about any of it why did they tell, like, why are they asking Joppo to, like, enforce some kind of timeline thing, which they presumably are, because we see them choosing him and communicating with him. Why does the fact that Dr. Bronstein is not his mother change the, like, the mission statement that was given to him by the editrixes that he has, like, spent his entire life serving? Like, what? He, sa- he yeah, says, I'm-, I'm not the man I thought I was. But all that we know is that he, like, he's a caveman. Like, I guess it's that he's the <laughs> origin of the kind of tampering that would, like, technically be considered not allowed. Is that yeah, like, what I suppose. It, 
I suppose so. And so my my speculation, and this is not based on anything in the book, this is just sort of like an A to B logic connection, is like the editresses are doing this because like they want to limit time travel as much as possible because they exist sort of within like the time slipstream. And they like basically are like, we don't want humans in here. <laughs> and so we will like take take action to prevent time travel as much as possible in order to like keep the the time stream like healthy and like we can just chill yeah <laughs> it would be great if there was at any point an opportunity for an editrix to articulate anything yeah and and like this i think in a different book this really wouldn't be a problem like there it's i I'm not a person who, like, sort of gets deeply caught up on, like, plot or, like, lore mechanics or things like that. I think we've talked about this in the past with stuff like Saga and and Ex Machina even, where it's like, we're not too, too worried about the mechanics of how everything, you know, is supposed to function. But when the entire book, and (laughs) again, like, this goes back to our original complaints, or at least my original complaints about the series when the entire book is built around this plot and this deep lore then like i am going to like demand some degree of answer from you and like i am like yeah it's just like if if the whole point of this book was to present this lore as it seemed to be then why are you like now refusing to present the lore at the end of it when it's like that's basically like that's ostensibly like that's what people have been reading for right Mm -hmm. like the, because the the reveal the final sort of like reveal of like this is what the book is about that it's like it's about getting the paper girls back to their original destination because they like it's you know it's it's the classic like time travel like sort of cyclical thing mm-hmm. where it's like they have to put the girls back because the girls got taken out in the process of trying to put the girls back and it's like i don't know <laughs> I don't know. You, you take you take them. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Yeah, it's it's. I think of the Vaughn series we've covered so far, this one suffers by far the most from incomplete world building. Basically, is what I, I would say it boils down to. Like we talked about it in pretty much every saga episode. I think about how the strong story kind of carried it over the the weaker elements of the world building and it got us through the parts that might be either confusing or maybe kind of grating or annoying to our sensibilities. There was like enough of the character stuff driving it that we could get by that stuff. This book is so like world building, but telling you like nothing, not nothing, but like the most important parts are all still like completely obfuscated to me at least, even having like finished the book, I did do some poking around to see like what kind of the like what discourse. Yeah. This? Apparently, I mean, <laughs> I have several times dismissed the idea of going back and translating the uh, dialogue of the teenagers, uh, which in, I'm not sure if it was in any of what, of what you read, but in my like deluxe edition, third volume, they do provide the like cipher at the back. I I read some people who said, like, yeah, that helped, like, going back and translating the teenager dialogue basically helped me, like, kind of understand some of it better. But I'm just like, there's not that much teenager (laughs) dialogue. Like, I don't, and, and, I don't know, maybe it would answer some of the questions we have. It's mostly the early issues. Yeah, maybe it would answer some of the questions we have about, 
like the the clone cadre's role uh, or relationship to the teenagers if there is any such. But it's not going to tell us anything about Joppo. It's not going to tell us anything about the Editrixes, I don't think. I would be surprised to learn, I guess I would say. And and yeah, I mean, just like looking at this timeline, the reason I pulled that up was because as soon as I finished the issue, basically what I thought was like, they should have just had a timeline at the back, like as the as the end of like every single story arc. They should have just had a timeline with like all of the major events that spelled out like as as things were revealed, basically, it should have just been like updating itself with the new information, because even though, again, that doesn't answer all of the questions about, you know, basically the some of the world building that we've been talking about, it at least like makes it clear and and easily understandable just like what's going on at any given moment, which I feel like it's a problem with the book that sometimes you're just like, I don't understand what's happening. But to some extent, that feels by design to me that like, they like, that the book was written to be this mystery, you know, it's a not to bring up like the JJ Abrams thing, but it's like, (laughs) it is as if like this whole the whole book was written to be a mystery box if you will where it's like oh like there's this whole like thing about time travel and like ha- like what are, what are the motivations of all these characters and all this stuff and so like it seems as though the book for like you know the first like 27 issues has like a vested interest in keeping you confused to some extent and like keeping you from fully understanding what's going on because it's so steeped in its plotting that like that's what it has to be kind of that like it has to be like oh like he like the big reveal is just like here's what the plot was the whole time mm-hmm. which again like i think gets back to like some of the fundamental questions or complaints that i have about the story like the idea and again like this <laughs> this is just me going back to the same ideas again which is not what i want to do but like the idea of like that they can have one of these journeys and like they can they can go through time and stuff can happen and then we have like a reset where we go back to zero we're back in 1988 we're back like the girls have to live their lives like that's like a very time honored storytelling device for like mm-hmm. any kind of serialized fiction i feel like where it's like you have this journey you're doing one specific thing you're also at the same time learning more about the broader overarching story structure and then you go back, you reset, and that's when you can have more time for the things that people like, which is, like, the relationships, the characters, those, like, conversational moments. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they are, you know, something opens again. Like Because, like, I do believe that there it would be pretty trivial in my mind to do the same story beats and, like, in the same order, but to have that sort of in-between, like, rest period and maybe it's just a function of the book only being 30 issues long, but, like, I feel like that is the biggest thing that's missing. It's just, like, it feels so breakneck and so devoted to its plot that, like, when the plot is confusing or just, like, not super engaging, then, like, that's when it really falls off the rails. Yeah, I do think it's a problem that issue 30 is the best issue, and it's the one where it's like, hey disregard like all of that <laughs> 29 issues worth of stuff like the be- my favorite issues i would say are probably number 30 and number one and it's because those are the ones where you have like the strongest elements of the like just like the paper girls uh which yeah, yeah as you're saying we've talked many times about how creating more space for the characters would be 
to the benefit of the book, I think we have plenty of examples uh, throughout this chunk of issues as well that would reinforce that. For example, like Max development from telling KJ that she's a disgusting pervert to kissing her within two issues. There's not like <laughs> she threatened a guy with a knife and like now you're okay with being gay. Like I, 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 <laughs> there's there's some confusing, not confusing, but I think there's some underdevelopment there for a storyline that I think was introduced in a way that was really elegant and like really well done and really appealing and exciting of the like future vision. Very long running as well. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, it was teased out over time, but like instead of getting instead like, you know, there were what probably like 10 or 15 issues between like when we see the kiss and when it happens. Yeah. But instead of like having an, anything like sort of lead up to that moment, it's more like, it's like it's all the same way and then like we sort of get this spike like we get like this one conversation where she sort of softens and then they kiss yeah and so it's like you you gave yourself so much rope and then you're just sort of like i made this cool noose uh yeah i i think that uh, like yeah i'm reading it and i'm just like what does she like about KJ? Like, when does the change happen where, like, at one point she makes a reference to, like, I think it it might be during the dream, which, uh, hey, kudos, Brian. Finally, the portentous (laughs) dreams have an actual, like, plot role. That's exactly what I wrote as well. (laughs) There's a reason that they are so portentous. Um, So it might might have been in the portentous dream about KJ's uh, bat mitzvah. But at some point, like, someone's talking about it and Mac makes a reference to like uh, i like you know i like hanging out with my friends i like mostly kj and i'm like really mostly kj like i have i just feel like i haven't seen that like i haven't really seen that you like hanging out with any of them because i haven't really seen you hang out with any of them i've seen you like murder cavemen with them but i haven't (laughs) seen you just like sit and like talk to them not really yeah and i think as much praise as we've given this book for like you know writing teenage female characters well and I, this isn't even like about writing teenage characters writing female characters like i think over time like as strong a foundation as you give the characters when all of their convert like it, it just it it never builds i think on the strong foundations that it gives them like we get a general sense like it's like i can't really say what's all that different but because like like mac obviously has like a very distinct personality right. probably the most and, distinctive personality but that also is like very kind of like archetypal yes definitely uh and then aaron you know but like Aaron, looks like let's just say like aaron and tiffany like how are they different from each other like they both sort of i think have like these anxieties about the future they both are you know they can be introverted at times it's like what like i struggle to point to like a key difference where it's like where do they like philosophically diverge or like even just like personality wise diverge it's it's hard for me to pinpoint it yeah tiffany has like some of the stuff about like you know the 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 stuff that she talks about with older tiffany as far as like the creative kind of like aspiration that she sort of gives up on at some point for whatever reason the like desire to just like explore new things and explore her ideas, which is ultimately stifled. Erin is a little bit trickier because she does feel to me, 
maybe not like archetypal in the same way that Mac is like Mac is Mac is like kind of a stock character in a lot of ways who's put into like interesting and unique circumstances that lets her sort of like feel fresh but she's like a pretty standard sort of like character type especially for this kind of story yeah like a a tomboy with a hard exterior but she actually you know has some sympathy behind her and Mm -hmm. you know like blue collar kind of energy to her yeah and Aaron, I think, fills sort of a sim like the the new kid role that they put her into. I think is like sort of makes her instantly recognizable in a certain way, and I think she has a lot more like the struggles that or the the internal struggles, I guess, that she has as far as like her faith is one that comes up a lot, and even like at the end of number twenty nine, like I mentioned, the whole like tree of knowledge thing is something that has been running throughout throughout the series it's how they opened number one it's like she was at the library she was there her like big proclamation before they wipe her brain is basically that like knowledge is good (laughs) Um, (laughs) but but yeah no i i agree by and large like i think obviously there are points of differentiation some of which i've sort of talked about but in terms of like if you presented me with any hypothetical situation and were like how would tiffany react and how would aaron react and and even how would KJ react? KJ uh, maybe a little bit more distinct, mm-hmm. but I would be like, I I don't know, like however Brian says they would react. I guess basically, like I would believe anything that you told me. And I guess that that's like there's not necessarily too many characters, especially outside of like highly archetypal characters, like. You know, we're talking about comics. I think it's easy to imagine certain superheroes, like situations that you would be like, well, I think I know generally how they would react. Or at least I would be able to say like, well, they wouldn't do that about like certain yeah, or, obvious. You, know, you can you can create a scenario. And like I'm thinking right now of like, think of like Yorick. 355 and Dr. Man, right. which is like, that's like the core three. And like, you know, obviously why the last man is like twice as long as this book, but it's like, even, you know, t- certainly like by 30 issues in, like they all have very distinct personalities. We've all seen like character development in them. We understand the ways that they are like fundamentally different from each other. And also like, you know, like, like, we, we understand their weaknesses and, like, how they're trying to improve on those weaknesses and, like, what they want and, like, all this stuff that, like, we just don't get the chance to see that from these characters. And, like, I think we get, like, we certainly get hints of that. Like, I mean, certainly in terms of what they want and, like, the things that they sort of have anxieties about, I think we see a fair amount of. But, like, it's just, it's so, it's, it, it like it sucks kind of to be like <laughs> to be like I really like these characters and I don't know them nearly as well as I want to because this stuff that I like am not particularly interested in is getting in the way right and I think that I was thinking reading this about about the TV series and I was like maybe that is the best way to do it because like if you're blowing out all of the like if every single issue of this comic is a 40 minute TV episode, and you have like <laughs> more conversations between like interactions between the characters, then maybe that is like what I'm looking for in terms of making space for those interactions and like the characters. Yep. As a point of comparison, why the last man number 30 is the second last issue of Ring of Truth. So 
we're past like one small step by quite a ways we're past safe word i believe so you know these are these and again maybe like part of it might be the marriage to the like five issue arc structure that (laughs) we didn't discover for some time but like locking them into you know certain certain like settings for x amount of time and being very action driven like there's nothing there's nothing that compares to safe word in paper girls as far as like just like two issues of being like let's unpack this character's psyche like we get some like especially like anytime an editrix is involved like we get you know some of that and in the same way that you know why had portentous dreams that exposed like certain elements of the character's psyches these girls also all have portentous dreams that give us kind of glimpses of their past and insights into you know their their hopes dreams fears etc but there's nothing now mind you like there's nothing like safe word in most comics but you know I, i i just all this to say you're very right about as far as like by the time we hit number 30 yorick in particular is so like on display for us kind of um and and we understand the other characters well enough that to be able to say like hey they're in this situation like how do you think they respond? You can at least sort of like imagine how they would react individually. You can kind of like, you know what the group dynamic is. Like, that's the other thing. I don't really have a sense of the group dynamic here either. Like other than like by the end, they've pretty kind of like clearly established the sort of like the Mac is going to do what KJ wants to do, which is like, kind yeah. of like they, she, and she's fallen kind of in that camp throughout to a certain extent. But by the yeah, end, I think it's like... we, I think we sort of get the sense that like KJ and Mac are t- 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 to use the Thomas Middlemitch analogy <laughs> um, <laughs> that KJ and Mac are the gas and Aaron and Tiffany are more the brakes, perhaps. Right. But yeah, like yeah, I think that's a great point that like the the I think the dynamic is the biggest thing because like the carrot like you know on one hand it's like well like york's the goofy one and then 355 and man are the serious ones but then 355 and man are very distinct in terms of like what kind of person they're like like they 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 fill a similar role in some respects like as they relate to york and i think also maybe just having like a trinity is better than like (laughs) just like inherent sort of the like sort of zooming out like to like superstructure story mm. ideas like <laughs> having a trinity where it's like no where it's like two people can sort of make a majority and so it's like you have you usually have we'll have like two people pulling one way and then one person pulling the other way and that sort of like creates that tension mm-hmm. and so maybe the, having four instead of three dilutes some of that and also like dilutes your ability to focus on the characters but it's like you know even if even if i'm devoting one third of like <laughs> the time with like Yorick and man and 355 to another character. I don't think that you end up with like the same results. Like I think that the, that's like the fundamental understanding of who the characters are is a lot stronger in why. Mm-hmm. Well, but even to like go all the way back pretty much to the beginning, like, and this is very different because they are so archetypal, but, like, the four characters in Zot, the four, like, the core four of Zot, who have 28 issues and really realistically have, like, maybe 15 before Peabody and Butch are basically completely out of the picture. And, you know, maybe we have a better understanding of them because 
Scott like so clearly laid out kind of the like the idea behind their personalities and and the the sort of like four quadrants that they fit into but it's this, like it's a very it's a very easy to understand group dynamic is it a more maybe simple group dynamic yeah sure but but uh, but like but what about but what about the the you know the 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 gang of losers in Sot who we see we see their group dynamics mm-hmm. which I think are strong and then it's like yeah each of them gets one issue yeah <laughs> like you get one issue like even that would be it's enough true. like it's true like just, I know I know Ronnie better than I know KJ yeah which is like that's crazy to say yeah. because it's like it's like I and and then like that sort of makes you start to wonder it's like like what do I like about the characters like because (laughs) it's like I I do like I feel a natural affinity towards them like I think like they're very likable and like relatable and things like that but then it's like I I struggle to be like why do I like this character Mm -hmm. because like I haven't been shown enough I don't it doesn't feel like to like understand them fully right and and that makes me think as well like as I'm thinking about it I'm like well what's my favorite moment from number 30 where we see them all hanging out and I'm like the two-page silent spread where they're all lying around smoking (laughs) like that's the best part and you know obviously there's that there there's a lot that's communicated through that in a way the sort of like comfort and innocence and eh, but it's not really predicated so much on how the characters interact with each other as it is like it's a it's kind of just like a vibe piece it's like it's like a it's almost like a promotional piece of art like you could you that page or that two-page spread could be like the centerfold of any image comic and just have paper girls in the middle and then like a number one like coming you know whenever whenever it's like a perfect ad for the series in a way but it's because yeah, it's like, so evocative. Like I guess I guess it speaks to the extent to which like Cliff Chang's work is is carrying the book at times, which we talked about a little bit last time. But like he he's able to instill a lot of character into them and to to do that like ev- evocation, I guess. <laughs> but like to 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 put you there basically. It feels like you're there, which I think is part of the draw. Yeah, and I, I think you know to to give some uh, to to give some positives. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe like you know to answer my own question. I think one of the things that that does well is, is like the because and it's sort of one of the big ideas of the book is like that it's like they are a group. Like they're not like just four disparate people that sort of like come together. Like they are a group of people. And, like, their sort of, like, shared friend... I think, like, the book is, you know, it's about their shared friendship, like, among the four of them and sort of, like, the idea of them being, like, bonded by these shared experiences and, like, the sort of fraternity that exists between them. And so, like, to some extent, I think that that is, like, part of the strength of it, that, like, because when you have the group together, like, it is, I think, like, very evocative or, like, very, like, I just think it's, like, inherently, like, yes, like, I, I, love, I love this, like, like, like you said, like, you can just see that picture or you can see, like, you know, any of the pictures where it's, like, the four of them riding their bikes together with their satchels and all that stuff, mm-hmm. like, I think instantly you're just, like, oh, I like that. <laughs> and so, and I think that cool. that's, like, yeah, I think, like, that's one of the strengths of it where it's, like, even where the individual characters might fall a little short of what we would want out of them that like there's always like that power of the group which also makes it crazy that like so much time is spent separating the characters to some extent 
but yeah, like, I, if if there's something to point to as like that's what is good about it, then maybe that is what I what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we want to? I, 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 I had something. There's a lot of places we can go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Um, so the ending is where I was going. Um, the okay. ending reminds me kind of of what you are talking about because like. I, I, it's, it ties in really nicely with the conversation that Mac has with Dr. Bronstein, where she basically is like, isn't it like such like a, basically like a, a beautiful coincidence that like we both are, uh, were alive and like got to like be on earth together. And like the last couple pages of like the four of them, you know, at the crossroads about to ride away from each other. And it does like the pan out from like to show like stony stream. And then like, america and then like the world and then like the, the milky way galaxy <laughs> and that like the the like infinite vastness of the universe basically to like highlight basically that that same idea of like what a what a like beautiful coincidence that these four girls like were all alive at the same time and like we're all together and and that's something that's like worth preserving i like it I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I understand that you were not crazy about it. That's what I'm well, hearing. To me, it kind of, and I, I truly didn't like. I, I feel continually bad that like so much of this is devoted to criticism because I feel like that's like been us for the past like five episodes that we are, <laughs> you know, se- seven hey, episodes. Listen, at this we've point. we've talked about where it's good. I think that sometimes when when books tend to be discussed in a way that is sort of overwhelmingly positive much truer with saga than with paper girls but i would say by and large you know most of what i have read about it is pretty fawning i I don't know i think there's it's worth spending some time and acknowledging the things that don't work for us even if it's just things that don't work for us and you know i think there will be plenty of people who disagree based on the popularity of these books but i think it's worth it's worth acknowledging and discussing yeah so you know in terms of like like you said like vaughn if there's like i think that he is very known for like having that ability to stick the landing and i think i enjoy the sentiment more than i enjoy what it is like i think it just felt cheap to me honestly and like because like so much of the book is built around like i like there's a lot of like sort of the the time travel stuff I like is like one of my favorite movies is about time. Which one? Which I think <laughs> uh, the the Richard Curtis film starring Donald Gleason and Rachel McAdams, which is you know also about someone with the ability to time travel. And I think that like I think that some of the ideas that that movie gets at are very similar to the ideas that like Vaughn wants to get at, especially in this last issue that like to appreciate the time that you have certainly is a big part of it. And like that even like for all, for all your worrying and for all like your attempts to change things, like things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And like, there's like a bittersweetness to that because it means you're going to deal with pain, but also like, you know, like it is what it is. Like you don't like, you don't have to worry about the future and things like that because like things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And so I think that I I liked the idea that was sort of presented to us and like the idea that we were sold in terms of like how this is all going to end that it's like there like there is going to be pain here there's going to be a certain amount of bittersweetness that it's like you had this and like that like it'll always be there but that like you're not going to 
Like, you're not going to get everything you want at the end, where it's like, you're not going to get to live happily ever after with your four friends. And and they also, like, because it's so built around the idea of, like, adolescence and the idea of growing up and things like that, I think that that is, like, a, a totally valid thing to have in your book about those ideas. <laughs> that it's like, yeah, like, you have these friends that you knew, uh, you know, it's the, it's the stand by me thing where it's mm-hmm. like, I don't think I ever had friends like the friends I had when I was 12 years old. And that like that bittersweetness, I think would be a very potent way to end a book. And so while I like, you know, it's, it's a nice idea. Um, and it's a, you know, there's a bit of that sort of bait and switch idea, which I was kind of expecting, but just to, to have it be like, Oh, we were friends after all. And it's like, uh, again, like plotting isn't the biggest concern for me, but like that doesn't really make sense in terms of a plot structure. Like, like yes, we get the idea that it's like, oh, it was Tiffany's sort of thought transmission mm-hmm. that ultimately caused this. But but like it's like it's like we've already been told quite explicitly that things are going to happen the way they're going to happen, and like this is just how it's going to be. And so it's like, what is what does this mean in the, like a broader sense, like? That we're now changing the way that things are going to happen. But yes, so, so what do you think about my feelings on this ending? Because like, it, it's hard because like, <laughs> I've been talking the whole time about how like, this is exactly what I want to like, go back to zero, like go back to Stony Stream, have them ride around, have them interact with each other, like have those sides to it. And maybe if there was more sort of stressing of the idea that it's like that they don't know each like that it's just it was hard for me and maybe this is a function of like binging the series rather than reading it month to month but like it was hard for me to feel the idea that like these people had forgotten each other and that like like it didn't feel as though i was watching like different people sort of interact you know right. like it well, just felt like oh like here they are again yeah I think, though, that that was, like, kind of the point, as at least as far as, like, you know, you can take away the memories, but the fact is that, like, it did happen, and they were changed by it, and because of, like, what Tiffany did, they were able to retain some of it, and so instead, uh, like, yeah, I guess, I guess it boils down to, like, we're seeing an indication that, like, maybe something will change, and I don't think necessarily that we, like, don't get the Stand By Me ending, per se, like, I don't think that... I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee that like when Tiffany makes it to the year 2000, that she's not still like, Oh yeah. Like those kids. Like I used to know, I used to know those kids, but, but like, I, I don't know. I, I think I would feel frustrated. Like if we went through all of that and then it was like, and now here they just like are again with like no change and no impact on the character whatsoever. That would, to me, I would be like, so it was like literally all for nothing. I feel like if you're going to do that, you need to come at it from a, like a very different angle to kind of like emphasize the, I guess, like the tragedy of that, of like it all happened and like they, they like saved time, question mark. <laughs> uh, but they like, they don't get to be the ones who like know that that happened and they don't even get to have like their friendship. Like that's very sad. And I don't think that, like the whole the whole thrust of the book has always kind of been like how can it be that we can go through this together and and like we don't even remember that we knew each other 
And like, I think that they made space to kind of like reckon with the idea that like, it really do be like that sometimes. But like, as far as like where the book was always going, I feel like it, it was always going to be basically a book about like, how these characters learn to like value their youth, basically, and value the time that they have together and like, gain some some perspective that will, like hasn't completely robbed them of their innocence, but gives them a bit of an appreciation kind of for like what it's like to be 12 basically yeah i i just think that there are ways to do that that don't have like this version of the ending like i'm trying to think of exactly what i'm thinking of but i feel like there are numerous examples of like swear and it's maybe a season of tv that i'm I'm trying to remember exactly what i'm thinking of here but like where it's like you've you've reset to zero it happened on the good place i think at some point mm-hmm. um spoilers spoilers sure i mean that show i mean i could talk about that show <laughs> but yeah like sort of that there's this reset to zero but like there yeah this is actually this does happen on the good place that you you sort of reset everything and they don't remember each other but there is like this sort of like fundamental pull towards each other and well of course we're going to be seeing that soon in matrix uh r- r- resurrections baby wait what's the third one called revolutions, revolutions right? baby. we're going to be seeing that soon in matrix resurrections with neo and trinity's hands lingering on each other and i'm just going to go ahead i have not seen the film yet this is coming out in what february mm, probably yep probably uh so i'm just gonna say great movie <laughs> <laughs> i'll come back and revisit that idea love larry uh, <laughs> so great that larry fishburn was able to be in it uh, they really yeah, that was did a great job keeping that under wraps and i couldn't believe it when i mm. saw him that post credit scene yeah. made me pog out he was farting in the dojo <laughs> huh? you've seen that surely that's like a like proto youtube like slash like maybe like a ytmnd thing of, like, i can't talk about this i understand as soon as you said farting in the dojo like i understood completely like the, and i don't need to <laughs> I don't need to get into it any further. <laughs> Specifically centered around the line, you think that's air you're breathing, and then like quizzically <laughs> raising his eyebrows. <laughs> Anyways, great that they did that. <laughs> that's very funny. Okay, but but yeah, like so I think that like I think that maybe the last issue that you know, and again, this is just like this is what I would have done. Uh-huh. But it's like maybe I think it should be more about the idea of like like you said, like, it's accepting, like, sort of appreciating the time that they had, but also, like, and, like, accepting that and sort of, and the, the, the bittersweetness of growing up, I think, is, like, a perfect way to frame the ending of the story where it's, like, and you can still have, like, those, like, lingering impacts where it's, like, even though the timeline is still going to proceed the way it was supposed to, and even though they won't have this memory of the time they spent together, like, that it is still there and, like, that that somehow like impact like just to give like a very like rote example that i just came up with the top of my head where it's like oh like when we when kj wakes up and like her brother makes that like homophobic comment and like we do see that we see her sort of have that like click of like that's mac "Hmm." or yes mac sorry well yes she she most notably chooses uh to call lucas kurtzenberger a different f starting name than the one she used in the very beginning right and so like she I, really I, I she like actually that. channels morpheus i feel like <laughs> <laughs> with her use of the word fart myth yes. yes 
but yeah, like, I think that is like a great example of what I'm more looking for out of it, where it's like, it is that pain of like, even like that they have this and that we as the audience know that they had this and like, but that they can't have it. And I think that that sort of like, they're giving them everything they want sort of at the end, because like, you know, it's like the, the whole, the way that issue 29 is set up is that like, you're making this sacrifice, like you are sacrificing your knowledge of each other and your friendship in order to like ensure the like in order to save time as you put it and so i think that like doing that and having them make that sacrifice you know as unwilling as it might have been but then also being like but they can still be friends can't they (laughs) it just feels a little cheap to me can i say agree to disagree on this one i think i do like the ending i think it's it's kind of where the book always was going I like it as, like, a story. Like, like I said, like, I like that they're, like, putting them in this setting again and all that stuff. So, like, I do like, I like the issue. It just feels like it, like, (laughs) in a book where so much of, like, the, like, thematic and emotional beats, like, are sort of put aside. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're going to have this one, then, like, I don't know. What else? I mean... Are we ready to talk about flowers in the attic? Uh, yeah, hit me with your <laughs> flowers in the attic talk. Well, just at the very beginning of issue 21, <laughs> this is the first note I made. The, there's a dream. Uh, I believe KJ has this, or no, Mac has this yes, dream that takes place at a library. And they're talking about like the various books that she might be checking mm-hmm. out. And the first thing the librarian says is, let me guess, flowers in the attic. Flowers in the attic, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I I'm gathering from the way that you're speaking that you to have not seen this or heard about this. I have not, never read it. I do know what it is. <laughs> I think that I confused it with flowers for Algernon. Yeah, very possible. <laughs> and also, like, were children reading this? Yes, they were. Like, what hit, why, hit us with uh, the hit us with the plot synopsis here? <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> it's a it's really crazy it's demented like, yeah because i thought i thought that it was about like like i just thought that there was like an incest element to it yeah but that's really only the tip of the iceberg i feel like yeah so so the story of the book <laughs> for, for the listening audience is there's this woman whose husband has died and she has these kids and she takes the kids to her father's like mansion, basically in the hopes of getting some inheritance from her from her father because she has been cut out of her will. And we find out that the reason that she has been cut out of their will is because she married her father's half brother, so her like half uncle, and then and so like it's incest, and the children are products of incest, and so and but the. The father or the grandfather for the children, he doesn't know that they exist and so that they have to stay in like this like locked bedroom with an attic in order to like hide this truth until he dies so that they can have the money and then the mother claims that they will all be together. Um, they all get messed up like they're, they're always sick. <laughs> the older sister and brother characters also begin like an incestuous fascination with each other. And then it also turns out that the, what they, they believe that originally it's the grandmother, but it turns out to be the mother has been like feeding them poison so that the children will die. And they find out that it's because 
the grandfather has been like dead for years. <laughs> they find out like, you know, much later in the book. And the reason, and it's like, he has a note in his will that's like, if it ever comes out that there are children, then she will be disinherited. And so she is like left with her new bow and left the children there to die, essentially. <laughs> and then they like break out at some point. I think in the movie version, they kill her, basically. Yeah, There's like a whole series, I feel like, or maybe I'm yes, thinking of sequels. Other, the other famously uh, deranged novel that fascinated children, Clan of the Cave Bear. I'm not familiar. Hey, if you uh, liked if you liked the Wikipedia article on Flowers in the <laughs> Attic, wait until you get in on. So the... I just how 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 is this for children? I mean, it's like it's not. It's just the classic like it's it's like exactly what the librarian is sort of like implying by guessing it. It's just the thing that like a twelve year old would be like. I heard about this book where like it's so crazy and like. And then reads it and is like, this is demented. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, it's not, it's not a children's book per se. Or even like, I guess you might say that it's a young adult's book, but it's like, you know, it was the 80s. <laughs> right. It was written, for, it's, it is like written from the perspective of one of the children. Yeah, who which is I, also probably... like 12 probably for like a significant portion of it. Right. So that probably plays a role in it, but like. I just, I just don't understand how, like, and, like, not only <laughs> does it, not only was it, like, something that people read, it was, like, beloved. <laughs> yeah, that part I'm, like, not as clear on. To me, it's, like, a staple of, like, banned books lists. <laughs> right. Like, I think that was where I'd heard it's of it, It's, like, yeah. the classic, not, not the classic, but it's one of the classic, like, you know, parents being, like, my children are reading this. And honestly, like, <laughs> my children are reading this. <laughs> <laughs> do I entirely blame them? I don't know that I do. So, so Flowers for Algernon, is that one, like, messed up or sad in any way? Uh, no, that's, that's the one that Scott referenced where he, like, participates in a drug trial that makes him smart, but they realize too late that the drug eventually makes you stupid again and then you die. And also, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's about to make a... a Stormlight Archive reference that I don't think you've read, but it's like a classic like uh, heart mind dichotomy thing where like the smarter he gets, like the the colder he becomes. So he starts off as like he's he's got like an intellectual disability basically at the beginning, but he is like beloved, and then he reaches sort of like the happy medium point where he is like intelligent and fulfilled and like has alienated some of the people who liked to take advantage of him like before but has like a healthy and happy relationship. And then he like passes the threshold where like he starts to decline into like an emotionally deficient state as he becomes increasingly intelligent. And then he becomes smart enough that he figures out that like the drug is going to kill him eventually. And then like you see his decline and then it ends like his last letter is very sad and written in the same style as the original letter, uh, which is like semi-literate basically written to like his old lover basically being like please don't feel too sad for me and leave some flowers for Algernon at his like weird little grave that I made for him. Algernon is like the lab rat that he was like keeping who became intelligent because of the drug and then died which like prompted him to realize that he was also going to die. So it's very sad uh, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a classic like haven't you it's like a staple of like 
Goodreads forums and like <laughs> like our books threads of people being like, I just finished Flowers for Algernon and I'm freaking destroyed. It does. It it feels. It has the air of like something that like teenagers read. So yeah, the, yeah this I, one... I read it as like a class reading in like grade eight. Yeah, and it's and this says this one has also is like a banned books list. I think there's like a sex scene or something like a very mild yeah. sex scene. It's nothing compared to Flowers in the Attic. <laughs> yes, I would imagine not. But yeah, so that was a brief digression <laughs> down that road. Just a bit of Flowers talk. Another thing is that, so I, as someone who's been reading the letters columns, have followed uh, the exploits of P.D. Roy, the paper boy, and Rita Pearl, the paper girl. And when we go to the future... Fin pins from them. I would have loved to. Hey, I don't think it's too late. Well, let me look into that. When we go to the future, we meet dash dash dot the paper bot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I like it. I like it. Which is just simply quite good. Um, I'll pull up a picture of him for you, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to mention that because it, like you said, it is a very good bit. Okay, uh, so I have. Oh, 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 and I am now seeing dash dash dot here, <laughs> the paper bot. Hey, who knows what might be in your stocking? <laughs> but I have pulled up the merch. Uh, here are the categories. Men's, with t-shirts, cut and sew, tanks, and shoes, subcategories. Women's, with the same. Shoes. Kids, with t-shirts, baby t-shirts, baby body suits, and toddler t-shirts. Home, with the subsection <laughs> shower curtains. <laughs> okay, okay, and accessories, it, with phone cases and notebooks. I am going to be looking into the Paper Girls shower curtain. <sighs> Not what I would have thought. <laughs> wow like we'll the, just leave it at that the old timer let... robot like walking around so there's like a a wari t-shirt that is like of the cover where she's like peering through the bushes the leaves, that is like yeah. an all over print like the whole thing is the leaves and then like front and center on the chest is like her little face poking through i, right. I was like that seems like a no-brainer for the shower curtain too <laughs> but no we've got maybe a little too obscure i mean yeah, go look at the shower curtain and tell me that that's not too obscure. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're buying Paper Girls merch. Um, <laughs> another, the first appearance of Dash Dash Dot the Paper Bot features art of Rita Pearl's delivery bag, which is like stuffed full of letters and a skull sitting next to it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I love that. I mean, like, I really, I love Rita Pearl the Paper Girl. She's so, <laughs> she's great. really fun. She has her Y2K outfit on at one point. Mm-hmm. It's just a classic bit. She's uh, she's got like a uh, like Fallout vibe to her. Sure, he's, she's like the uh, as the, the, the yeah the thumbs up guy, the thumbs up guy. <laughs> the, I'm falling out thumbs up guy. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, have we have we talked enough about KJ and Max's relationship? I think we sort of delved into their characters. We yeah, we um, did but, veer off, but that was yeah, that was prompted by my feeling that the like you can't call it out of nowhere because it was like announced <laughs> so long ago, but <laughs> it was heavily under, underdeveloped, I would say. Yeah. And you know, I it's a it's a fun relationship between the two of them. I I like their I like the thing that they have going on. So it's is it time to talk about the end of issue twenty five cliffhanger? Where you'll you'll have to remind me. 
This is the issue where the girls go through like the rift and are sent across various points in time. Um, let me just see exactly what how the uh, the final pages uh, work out. Yeah, so basically it's it's four pages uh, of like the different of the girls in their different locations. So you see Tiffany, she's like standing on like a snowy peak in like the far flung future with like weird techno worms. Mm-hmm. KJ is like in the fifties, cosplaying as the thirties, as you so right, <laughs> rightly described it. I think the the sort it's, of sepia toning to it she, also yeah. affects that. When she catches up, like when she finds Charlotte, Charlotte is like wearing a poodle skirt. She's yeah. a, she's cosplaying yeah. as like Marty McFly's mom. But but yeah, when she first comes out, like it's the it's like the the newsboys wearing their like newsy caps and like suspenders and like work shirts uh and like stacking stacking newspapers and it does like if there's like a tumbleweed like blowing by (laughs) (laughs) and like i guess now that like i look carefully at the bus it does have more of like sort of like the 50s sort of like milkman vibe to it but like at a glance it's like a little model t e model t he of, oh yeah we'll talk about that shortly <laughs> okay i yeah we'll talk about that when it's time to talk about that because i want to talk about the dreams at large but uh proceed well it's coming up very shortly because it's the beginning of issue 26 i had back to back of course shocking i, I scream <laughs> um we see mac she's just like in the future with a weird monster and then of course the final the final page like basically the big like twist ending of the issue is close-up shot of aaron asleep on the ground somewhere slightly zoomed out hey someone saying hey lady to her we can see that it's halloween most likely and then finally (laughs) the final frame (laughs) someone saying you okay to her with the pink you know time time rendered sky in the background it is none other than the orange buffoon himself donald trump asking her if she is okay it's clearly a costume and he's carrying the jack-o'-lantern but yes, but yes, yes, of course. I'm not. I don't mean to imply that it is literally <laughs> depicting Donald Trump, but the, this being like the like, oh my god, like <laughs> that it is presented in the same way that the two ta- one of the two towers still standing. <laughs> yeah, the last page reveal of like, oh. yeah, it is the B- it is the BKV twist <laughs> that that really made me. <laughs> go crazy <laughs> and then you turn the page and oof oofa doofa maui wowie yes and then immediately the times, but... you have to turn the issue yes but yes and then the start of issue 26 of course features tiffany dressed as michael jackson uh, <laughs> doing a bit of a smooth criminal pose was smooth criminal at it this time in 1988 i'm not too sure i don't know that does remind me of one of the best running gags which is tiffany 2000 making a cultural reference and young tiffany being like what is that and her being like was that not out in 1988 i really thought i'd see that by 1988 <laughs> um it did it came out november 14th 1988 but oh it was a single it was the seventh single jeez Louise. no this From is this, uh, this has to be like uh what's that song streetwalker or um moonwalker is it moonwalker streetwalker doesn't he have a song called streetwalker also or something like I that i don't know he has a film called moonwalker and of course he is wearing the outfit of the smooth criminal video the white suit <sighs> yeah it like it definitely 
No, no. It's, I'm looking at a picture of him in Moonwalker, and he is wearing this outfit complete with black armband. Now, sure. Moonwalker released October 29th, 1988. The book begins but, on November 1st. No, but, but, the, but the album Bad, maybe the video hadn't come out, but the album Bad did come out in 1987. I mean... Yeah. The, okay, no, this is actually, this is perfect. The music video for Smooth Criminal came out October 13th, 1988, uh, and it's the okay. centerpiece of the 1988 film Moonwalker. Oh, there you go. So we're so, both right. A rare, um, a rare double win. <laughs> okay, you can choose to believe your right, for sure. Um, but of course, what Michael Jackson is saying is, don't get too attached, new kid. Turns out I'm not the man you think I am. Just crazy. Now, is that a Michael Jackson lyric? No. I tried Googling <laughs> this. I feel like I can, like, it's like a tip of your tongue type thing where I can, like, almost hear well, the tune. The well, yeah, this is the thing. If you try and find it, all you get is made in the mirror. <laughs> but. I'm not the man you think that I am. I, and I'm not sure if I'm just, like, getting, like, a little bit of, like, Billy Jean and him being, like, I'm not the father, yeah. basically. <laughs> the kid is not my son. Yeah. Yeah, so certainly that happens. So the dreams, okay. <laughs> we Not ultimately nary, learn. Nary a hee hee to be seen, by the way. Nary a hee hee to be seen, Nora Shimon. We are told that the dreams, basically the, <laughs> the dreams originate from Tiffany sending a message back to them in time, which obviously like, you know, this t- Tiffany manifests and tells her that she needs to moonwalk, aka go backwards. and we are also told by like old tiffany that quote like they they the dreams get a little bit freddy krueger uh and it's like unavoidable which is why they're all take like a, a bent towards horror at some point or another if this is 1988 tiffany sending a message to 1988 aaron why is Michael Jackson basically <laughs> it being like, ooh, I'm a pedophile? Like, like, <laughs> how is that entering the equation? <laughs> how is that entering the equation if it's a message from a person in 1988 to a person from 1988? Like, neither of them know anything about, like, what is going to come to light. How is, how is this entering the equation? How does Missy know that like McDonald's apple pies are going to be baked instead of fried. Like, why is that part of it at all? Why is she receiving future knowledge through the dream? <laughs> oh, I'm, and I'm sorry. And please do do whatever you have to do in the edit to take down that laugh. <laughs> That's staying because, in one of my all time biggest. Well, I I just I saw the waveform, and so I think that you'll <laughs> run into problems there. And also, please just clip out. <laughs> Just, you say, ooh, I'm a pedophile. Crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. But, you know, there's there's no there's no explanation for it. It's, it's just one of the, like, I don't know. This, this was, like, when I was, like, man, when I was reading it, I was, like, I'm going to be going off once again about portentous dreams when we record because this is, like... Uh, it's it's just like bad no matter what and maybe this is once again a thing of like who knows reading this in 2017 maybe it would have been like whoa biting michael jackson commentary 
but no like, he'd been dead for 10 years he had been dead for 10 years but i mean he was back in the discourse within the past couple of years because of like finding neverland etc cetera, etc cetera. but i was leaving like, neverland leaving neverland excuse me finding neverland Rest is the uh, jm barry oh i was gonna say l frank bomb but that's wizard of oz yes uh yes leaving leaving neverland was january 2019 uh and these were pu- these were released uh, between June 2018 and July 2019. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It would have been right around the, the right time for it. So I'm just like, either <laughs> this is like one of the most like unnecessary. Oh, you think this was unnecessary? <laughs> it's it just like, it just doesn't make sense in <laughs> any way. Like it, it, there's a, there, it doesn't make sense for it to have been coming from Tiffany it's it like it's just so stupid if it's like she and she had a prophetic dream where she realized that michael jackson it was like a sex criminal <laughs> and, and like what are you talking about it's just <laughs> such a crazy decision to include and like by and large i would say i have liked the dreams especially compared to like why where I, a lot of times with why i was kind of like scratching my head and sort of like what am i supposed to like even be taking away from this like the dreams that here have like always been pretty good i think that like when she she has one like close to the beginning aaron where she like meets reagan and like has like a, a like unacknowledged realization of like already having lost her faith which like you know that her her whole faith relationship is like kind of a running theme throughout but i was like that's great like it's such a good sort of like character thing to build in and use these dreams to accomplish and then the fact that we end up with her having a dream about michael jackson being like never meet your heroes kid it's like what is going on yeah i i do agree with you about the the positive side certainly that like i think that you know as much as we talked about people maybe getting the short shrift in terms of character development i think that those those uh, dreams do a good job of like revealing character and also like it review it's it reveals their anxieties when you sort of have that flip to it so i liked that as well um yeah i mean i feel like everything you're saying is perfectly valid like <laughs> it is crazy uh and you know it at this point he's this is issue 26 that this dream happened so like he definitely knew what he was doing uh from a plot perspective by now so uh yeah you're you're right. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. Um, the other costumes uh, in this yes, family. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so of course we have Donald Trump. I can uh-huh. I can go four for five here, and I I can go four for okay. five as well. So we have left to right in the big group shot. Uh, one of the Ninjago ninjas. Uh, yep, Lego Ninjago. We have uh, Walter White in the like Heisenberg look with the like black pork pie hat. Correct. We have Donald Trump, and we have Pennywise. <laughs> An ex- like shockingly detailed Pennywise costume, I have to say. Yeah, great mask. Um, and then we have this, like the mom, I guess it is. Uh huh. Who is she? She appears, <laughs> she appears wearing a blonde wig. Yes, she's wearing a, a pink dress with a jean jacket. Are we sure that's she's a an- wig, though? No. <laughs> it's it's also sure a little confusing it's like twilight it's like weird color scheme but like based on her skin tone she seems to like potentially be a person of color but her kids are 
all very white, except for the Lego yeah. Ninjago kid who <laughs> is his, is signature Lego, Lego color. yellow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she's got this blonde hair. Is like, it's, is it a wig? Is it her natural hair? Can't really tell. Can't. Uh, she kind of looks like she's in costume as like. <laughs> what charlotte is wearing in the like 1958 issues yeah i'm googling pink dress denim jacket a surprisingly uh common outfit it seems mm-hmm. maybe if i had character append character to the search <laughs> it's my uh nope oh wait 12 easy halloween costumes you can wear with a denim oh it's stranger things it's stranger things it is it is. I'm about to send you a link to this image of Eleven from Stranger Things uh, wearing a pink dress with a, a denim wig. jacket. I assume. Nope, she has oh, short hair. Yep, yeah, you're right. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I guess just a fun little nod. I'm sure that, that when this cute. came out, people were <laughs> comparing it to Stranger Things. Yeah. So, sure. That's That's cute. I like it. Yeah, All is I'm, forgiven, Brian. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> you know what? This is actually good. Uh, well, I mean, on that note, is it time? Do we have anything else to say about Paper Girls? Which I feel we've discussed pretty exhaustively to tip my hand. <laughs> uh, let me just check my notes here. Uh, nope. Now that we've talked about Donald Trump and Michael Jackson, <laughs> we've hit the main points that I wanted. But so, so you just broadly speak, you, I feel as though you sort of agree with me that like this chunk of issues, like sort of flies off the rails in terms of how plotty it is while also sort of failing to explain itself in like a, a particularly coherent way. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, I think that that is very fair to say. Yeah, it, it, like I said, the man knows how to end a comic. That I really like number thirty, probably my favorite issue of the series. The I probably agree. Revelations in number twenty nine, really number like twenty five to number twenty nine, or I guess it's number twenty six to number twenty nine. Yes, are head scratching by and large, or frustrating, or. You know, we I, I feel I've aired all all of my grievances with the things that as I was reading, I was like, what are you talking about? Slash, like, why would that happen? Slash, who cares? <laughs> uh, another, just a couple of other things I wanted to bring up. One, well, just one thing that Tiffany says in the last issue, she started talking about why she's quitting her job as a paper girl and says, um... Most of whatever I think I'll like is just some slightly different version of the crap that made me feel happy when I was a kid, which sort of gets back to the idea of what we were talking about in previous episodes, like that sort of take on like nostalgia culture and things like that. Um, So I just I thought that was interesting. And then another comment I saw on a forum somewhere about this last issue is someone basically said that it feels like half of the ending (laughs) To some extent. Oh, the the other thing I was thinking of was the series finale of The Leftovers, which I don't believe you've seen. No. Nope. Uh, but yeah, but that's another one where it's like, sort of the idea is that people have forgotten each other and things of that nature. Uh, go, go watch The Leftovers, mm-hmm. is all I'll say. Um, but yeah, like, just like, yeah, I think that that's a very fair, like, way to put it. I mean, like, I guess you could say that issue 29 is sort of the conclusion of the time travel story. And this issue is the conclusion of like the the characters themselves, yeah. but I, I I am inclined to agree that like it does feel like there's like 
some sort there's something that we were missing in the telling that like and maybe it's just because they always planned for it to be 30 issues and sort of ran out of road but it the ending like that being the ending like the conclusion that we get with uh with the old timers and things like that but like we never really see like the fallout from this truce that they make other than like in the distant future it that does feel like uh, uh, it is a little disappointing yeah the like i've said the whole the whole war <laughs> is so just like vague and underdeveloped that hey sounds like freaking iraq <laughs> that would be a freaking product in this book <laughs> <laughs> I believe you already mentioned the Iraq. I believe I did. Um, and the classic Mad TV sketch. Oh, one of their funniest, without a doubt. No, it's it's like even compared to Saga, a book which I think we have been pretty critical about for its world building. At least like in that book, they're just straight up like nobody even really remembers why we're fighting. It's like that that's like more potent in a way versus this where it's like we are like I understand why one side is fighting, but not why the other side is fighting. But that side seems to be the side that like I'm supposed to think is the good side, or am I supposed to understand that like just like young people will always think that that is the good side, and it's like a commentary on like aging into conservatism or like I don't know that the ideas are like all there, but I feel like you can pull so many different readings out of them and i know that that's sort of like i don't know maybe some people would say that makes it more literary but i guess i just like things to be a little bit clearer a little bit more straightforward when it comes to like the major central themes and conflict of the book yeah and i think that i think that comparing it to saga is a great point that like it never paper girls never feels like it has a handle on the politics or even like really a strong point of view about this time war that like it and so it's like this sort of gets back to what i was saying originally where it's like if the if that is like what the book is going to be about to such a large degree in terms of like the amount of plotting and real estate and dialogue that is devoted to talking about it then like i would like it to have some level of like thematic unity with what the book seems to be driving at and I just feel like it like it doesn't have a strong enough grasp on what it wants to say about like those things to to pay off in that regard. I can only agree. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> with that, we I believe we have said all that we have to say about Paper Girls and what much what did of it you we've want said to... several times. <laughs> yes, we we've reiterated our point <laughs> successfully here. So what did you want to? Uh... Well, I think it's just time for. Our... BKV wrap up and final rankings, definitive rankings. Yeah. Dare I say? Yeah, um, I am looking at this <laughs> dash dash dot t-shirt. It's very good. I might have to get it. This is a problem for me. <laughs> so I was I was sort of thinking, and maybe I I will pose it to you because I don't have any strong thoughts just yet. I think I'm still sort of ruminating on it, but I think that more so than Scott. Because Scott, like, so much of his work is not narrative. And, you know, so much of his work is sort of built around his philosophies and ideas and things like that. I think it is a little harder 
to get a handle on any kind of like auteurist sort of narrative or thematic concerns. Like I think like we do talk a little bit in the sculpture about like comparing that to Zot and, you know, sort of the ways that though those two comics uh what they share in terms of thematic considerations. But for Vaughn, you know, it, he's he's just not course, an obsessive in the same way that McLeod is like an obsessive like by nature. And it is very clearly reflected in his work. Now, Vaughn, like, I think he has a very distinct voice. Like, I think you you never would, like, be reading something by him and be like, huh, I wonder who wrote this. <laughs> like, he, he, he has a very distinct voice. We have talked before about how sometimes maybe it's a little bit too samey for, for some of the characters. But, you know, that's, that's hardly a unique uh, knock against comics writers i would say and and yeah I, I i feel like he when we started the series or maybe just before we started the series i described him as one of the like essential creators basically of the 21st century and i do i do think that really is more his role like more so almost than any kind of like particular thematic interests like I, I, his his theme is like post 9-11 america basically i feel like and like he's he's like I, I don't know he's like almost like a walking zeitgeist in in some way and like everything that he creates again as we i i have referenced a few times and so have you like emilio described everything he does is like very now and i think that that is the case like yeah all, all of his works are very much like snapshots of the the world as it was when they came out um and i think that is in some ways his most sort of like identifiable trait is how like very of their time and of the moment his works feel and the degree to which they they kind of capture like i i think particularly maybe it's just like especially on the mind because we're just wrapping up Paper Girls, which is like about this to a certain extent. And I've been like editing the Runaways episodes, which are also about this. But for whatever reason, he's he's very much like the voice of like the youth of like the the post 9-11 world, even as he now like, I think is probably getting on towards like his mid 40s to even like early 50s, possibly. Like he's not he's not he's not the young man who who wrote swamp thing anymore but for you know he still speaks to that that younger generation for whatever reason yeah and i i was thinking a lot about emilio's sort of idea that like his books are very of the now and it's interesting because like on the one hand it's very easy to see when you think about like when he was writing each book i think it's very easy to see that like what the considerations of the day were um, because like, I think he is like an extremely political uh, writer like, and, and his, I think a lot of his books reflect like the social debates and the political debates that are happening at the time that they're created. But like, I don't really feel like any of his books have aged poorly. No, like, I mean, like, I wouldn't say, you know, like I think why certainly has like a certain flavor of like, early to mid 2000s kind of energy but you know if you compare it to other stuff like i mean like i, I haven't read like the boys or anything like that <laughs> but i i feel like i feel like if i were to crack open the first 20 issues of the boys that that would probably feel a lot more aged <laughs> than 
the first 20 issues of why the last man even though like it you know i think because it's it is so political that maybe there is some political regressiveness in the work <laughs> at times uh in terms of like what is what he sort of like considers an important topic to right. cover well, and, yeah like, we, and we talked it? about it when we were going through ex machina that sometimes like the issue of the day we'd be like it's almost like quaint that that like this is what the story is about <laughs> in in some ways yeah i th- i think like as reflecting on sort of his impact and his legacy i do think that he has made or had uh, maybe this isn't fair to say the, there's a common like debate and discourse amongst fans about like the injection of politics into comics and it tends to be mostly a pretty toxic discussion <laughs> um and people will say you know like sjw's ruining comics they're like you know trying to force all this stuff and people will always be like read this like one of like three stan's soapbox columns from like 1967 where he talks about you know this the exact same thing that and just like goes round and round like that so i don't want to say necessarily that fawn has like revolutionized like including a political element to writing in comics because you know there's there's ample evidence that that's not the case and it, it in some ways has always been sort of like a a progressive and, and political medium but i think that when you look at the people who he has influenced like i feel like a lot of comics from 2018 say for example i really from i think a lot of comics from the trump era will age worse than like ex machina which we can look back at now as being like so very much of a different era like a completely different era versus like 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 for example there is an issue of miss marvel that was basically like a voting psa that like i just feel like when you go back and and read that and compare it to an issue of of ex machina like one of them is going to read a lot better than the other even though like the the like the miss marvel issue is like totally inoffensive it's all it's doing is like encouraging people to vote but i do think that when you read it it's going to smack so much of like the tensions of the 2016 election compared to like an issue of ex machina which as we've said is so much about post 9-11 america and so much about like bush's america and coming out in bush's like during the bush administration and yet it is successfully like more timeless and and and, like i don't know why exactly that is like i have a hard time articulating why necessarily i feel that way but it just like maybe there's an element of like ex machina was like a period piece in a way even as it was coming out but like not that much of a period piece and like yeah i I don't know It, it he he definitely has a voice that is often imitated but never replicated i guess is is what i would say and and he has like he's got i want to say a soft touch but like i i don't think he has a soft (laughs) touch (laughs) i think he but i think he has a soft touch in some areas and i think that what you're getting at sort of speaks to maybe like if he has like a an auteurist superpower like i think that he is very adept at synthesizing the things that he is like reading about and thinking about and like uh like important considerations of the day and i think he is very good at like taking those ideas and synthesizing them into a comic that can be about those things without like super explicitly being about those things because 
I do think that there has been a trend recently, and you know, like that that Miss Marvel one you're talking about, I think is probably a good example of that, where it's like, it, where if something is about stuff like that, especially politics, if something is about politics, then like it's so about politics that like <laughs> it, it just like it really like drills into your head and i don't know if that's just like me and people in general becoming more cognizant of like how politicized like a lot of art is um like i don't know if that is maybe like the root of that but it does feel like lately like <laughs> people have gotten worse or maybe it's just happening more and so we see like the ineffective stuff more maybe it's just that like the, the the classic consideration always where it's like the good stuff gets remembered and the bad stuff gets tossed aside. I, I really do think that that is a big part of it and not even necessarily that it's like the stuff that like did the politics well so much as it's just like the stuff that was so good that even when the politics were like completely clumsy you can overlook it because the like stuff that it was primarily focused on or the other parts of it were so good like I'm thinking of like you know, for example, like the the first 36, 38 issues of uh, Amazing Spider-Man were drawn by Steve Ditko, who is also participating, participating heavily in the plotting. And he was like a Randian objectivist. Like that was his like big his big life philosophy. And you'll have issues of Amazing Spider-Man where like Peter Parker like walks by protesters like civil rights protesters and is like get a job you hippies <laughs> it's like wait <laughs> peter parker <laughs> wants those protesters to get a job <laughs> like what what um and like that's like it's not subtle it's not good it's not like thought provoking it's like total it's it's exactly like what it, you know what people complain about basically or what what people are trying to complain about when they say they don't like politics in entertainment but that happens on like one page of a 25 page comic and the rest of it is about like you know peter parker's relationship with his classmates and like fighting electro or whatever so it's easy to to kind of glide over those things i think it gets harder when the comic is like about those things and then it kind of lives or dies by whether or not it does a good job and like i think that's then, that's something that we see across media is basically like it's no longer like you know the the writer or the artist or whoever takes a small portion of the the you know page space to like get on their soapbox and then like the rest of it kind of carries on it it becomes a much more like integral part of the story and so the ability for them to either tell the story about, you know, whatever the political idea is that interests them in a way that is like actually narratively engaging or to, uh, yeah, it, it basically hinges either on their ability to do that or whether or not you agree with them, like kind of how much you will enjoy it compared with like, like fables. There's like a page that makes the rounds quite often where <laughs> Big B Wolf is basically like, Israel is a pretty good idea. Like I'm, I'm big into Israel and people now are like, Ooh, <laughs> and, and like, you know, you can kind of look at like recontextualize the series as like an Israel allegory through a certain lens if you want to. But like the reason that that's only being talked about now, it, it might be that like Israel has become more controversial or more under fire, but 
like the series isn't about like big beef wolf and his opinions yeah, but, about israel you know what i mean like it's it's something yeah but that, but then go on but then ex machina ex machina is a book about <laughs> like new york politics and like well, you know shares shares a lot of like dna with political discussions that were happening during the time that it depicts. Yes. And so I think but, that but, I think that it comes down to sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just gonna say, like we talked about in the Ex Machina episodes, like I think that Vaughn does a really good job of presenting all like all aspects of the issues in good faith and in putting putting like reasoned perspectives in the mouths of sympathetic characters so that it's not just like hey, the main protagonist of the book is here to, like, give a one-page speech about, like, why Israel is good. It's like, hey, two characters, both of whom you like and respect, disagree. And when they present their opinions, they have, like, they present clear reasons why they believe it. And you can disagree about whether or not those are good reasons. You can disagree about whether or not, like, they they have arrived at the right conclusion. But you can't argue that, like, anyone is getting straw manned or that like it's 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 a case where like Vaughn I feel like this is something that now would probably get him criticized but at the time he was like I don't want people to be able to read it and say like this is what Vaughn thinks he, I want people to read it and say this is an interesting like conversation and I think he succeeds at that yeah and I think that is like it is a strength and a weakness of Ex Machina to some extent I think that like I think it does try a little too hard to be like both sides especially when it's like talking about like gay marriage issues and things like that but then like i think that that effectively allows him to paint a picture of like the political machine and also like uh, yeah i think that that is like the biggest benefit is that like taking that zoomed out look and sort of having that healthy skepticism about everything i think is maybe like one of his trademarks and i think that that is huge for ex machina because like he has a healthy skepticism about everything he has. He depicts like politicians in situations where it's like, even if they held a certain belief, they might not be able to act on that belief or they might obscure that belief because of like how it would benefit them in other ways. Like I think it, I think it's a great book, not even about like the political issues of the day, but like about like politics and the mechanisms of politics. And I think that is maybe why it stands out as being like, kind of timeless in that regard mm-hmm. because like it has that 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 view on politicians right. and also like you know that's very borne out by the last issue yeah. for sure and and like i think paper girls sort of has a similar thing going on where as much as like we've said like we don't necessarily understand like what everyone's motivation or goal is with this whole time war i, I don't like i don't think i know which side vaughn thinks is like right or would agree with and like the the protagonists pretty consistently side with the teenagers but they are 12 year olds <laughs> and like when Joppo talks about what he's trying to accomplish it's not like this guy sounds like a total like dictator you know totalitarian like this guy should check out my work on Alphonse Hilter it's it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like what he's saying like makes sense and like realistically it's the same way that people talk about like if mutants were real you would want like a mutant registration bill you would (laughs) and it's the same like if time travel was real you would probably want want time cops cops. you would probably want time regulations and so like i don't yeah i don't think that i necessarily know 
like if Vaughn found himself on the front lines, you know, who would he side with? I'm not sure. And like, I think that he does a good job of presenting the tension of like, there are understandable and respectable motivations on both sides. Yeah. And I think his ability to present different perspectives is also maybe like one of his strengths uh, because like, you know, even in Saga, I think one of the great strengths of Saga is that it has such a huge cast and like everyone more or less, like obviously like once you get to like the big government agents, then like maybe it becomes a little more like they're concretely bad. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of like having so uh, such a disparate cast of characters with so many different motivations and having everyone like feel realized and feel valid in some way. I think that that is like a really great strength of that book that like, even just like within the main cast, like I think that that is, you know, we've talked a lot about the idea of sort of like narrative conflict within this series. And I think that that is like what effectively creates narrative conflict is when you have, characters with like reasoned perspectives and valid motivations that just like pull against each other and that is sort of like the the crux of so much of his work especially like you know and that that's the crux of politics as well where it's like you have like sort of a central motivation that's diametrically opposed but then also like you have like sub motivations within that and that's also informed by like the personalities of the characters and that creates like all the it creates like this sort of naughty web of tension k-n-o-t-t-y to be clear (laughs) i mean hey this is the podcast with all the sexual chemistry of uh, a naughty web of tension (laughs) n-a-u-g-h-t-y right um so i think i think that is like maybe what is what he does best is like he is really great and you know i think pretty much all of his books have large casts of characters and i think what he does well is sort of like being able to, and you know, we, we talked about in why uh, a lot, and even Swamp Thing, like the idea of like taking pieces off the board, reintroducing them. He loves splitting things apart and bringing them back together. I think that those sort of the webs he can weave in terms of characters and motivations and desires and like how, and then constructing a plot that will allow those things to like enmesh and conflict and and is bring really like one of his great strengths. Yeah, and bring characters who both of whom you want to see succeed into conflict with each other. And like, I think Saga is really his masterclass in that. Like it's, as we'll discuss uh, in the rankings, it's not my favorite work of his. And I don't think it's like even his, his peak as a writer, but in terms of his ability to like manage the characters like that, like when he brings, when he brings like the will and, and Marco into conflict with each other, it's like two characters who you both at some level want to see succeed. And there's, there's times as well, like Prince Robot and Marco will, will find themselves at odds. Uh, and it's like, I've gotten attached to both of these characters. I don't really want either of them necessarily to fail in this circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, do, do we, do we want to, uh, proceed with the rankings? Do we want to, sure, uh, I'm, pre- I'm prepared. Do you have your list prepared? How, how did we do this the first time? I believe time? we go uh, best to worst or favorite to least to favorite, best? I guess it would be. I think. You want to go least? I don't know. Whatever. You want it to be a countdown? Well, isn't that more exciting? I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any shockers. <laughs> I mostly don't remember how many total books there are, so I just have to we'll count that out. I think I, I might have a shocker too. I'm going right. sleeve. Maybe just one. Um, so there are, I think, eight total books that we covered 
So those are Swamp Thing, Volume 3, uh, Why the Lost Man, Runaways. There's two volumes of Runaways, but, like, come on. Yeah, um, Run- Runaways is one entry. Yeah, Ultimate X-Men, Ex Machina, Saga, The Private Eye, and Paper Girls. Oh, Private Eye I did forget about. Oh, that's going to throw a wrench into things. Yeah, that one, that's... Yeah, there's there's sort of a... For me, there's, there's a clear top three... Uh, and some deliberation about the order for me, and then a clear bottom two, and then a middle, which I'm very, I'm a little murky on. Um, but I think we can, let, let's just start by both sharing our bottom, <laughs> which I imagine will be the same. I think so. Uh, Three, let's, two, yeah. one, swamp thing. Swamp thing, <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because, like, I'm sure going back now, it would be interesting to to look at it because I think there are a lot of things that like end up being trademarks of his oh, that totally, are present totally. in that book. I think we've done a pretty good job of identifying those things as they have kind of come along. But yeah, you're right. Like, and, and we and we talked about it even on the episode, less so you, but as I was reading it, I was like, it is crazy when you read it and are like, this was written by like a 22-year-old to be like the seeds of this guy are like already here. And like at age 40, like, he's going to be a lot better. He's going to be like a lot more practiced and refined and like experienced and, and I think creative. (laughs) I don't feel uh, afraid to say that he's more creative or just generally better at his job. But some of the like narrative tropes, some of the, you know, the snappy dialogue, some of the story structures are present and like, they may have like evolved somewhat, but they're still like instantly recognizable. Yeah, definitely the things that he does with characters in and like like we're like I was talking about that the naughty web. The way that like the way that he uses that in like the last arc of Swamp Thing is like so similar yeah. to the way he will eventually use it, like in, in Y definitely, and then like ongoing throughout the course of his work. Yeah. Alright, so it is it is eight. Yeah, eight. So in seventh place, I imagine this is the same. Maybe you will surprise me. Uh do we, do we want to say them at the same time again? <laughs> uh I think it probably is the same. So All right. three, two, one. Ultimate Ultimate X Men. Yeah. <laughs> I flirted with the idea of ranking this eighth <laughs> to be honest yeah because honestly like it's like it's more competent i guess on like an issue to issue basis but it's like i don't know maybe maybe i'm like looking back at swamp thing with like rose colored glasses to a certain extent but i'm like at least swamp thing was like trying stuff <laughs> yeah that, that i i would say the same thing for sure like what like when I think back on Ultimate X-Men, I can, like, barely remember anything. Whereas when I look back at Swamp Thing, like, I, I can, like, Certainly remember certain memorable. elements <laughs> and be like, that was cool. And, you know, like, I remember dumb stuff as well. Uh, but, like, I remember, like, oh, like, the whole, like, way it depicts, um, I, I, what, what's, does it have a name other than the green in that book? No, it is the green. No, like, that's, that I thought was very cool. Yeah. And, like, you know, like there's, there's some fun characters in there. out of that train. Christopher, yeah, the, sure. the lawyer with AIDS, who... <laughs> right i still can't get over she's like i can cure you and he's like i'm good (laughs) i'd rather (laughs) die what are you talking about Uh, and the Uh, agent lady she was cool lawyer from the train um 
Yeah. Any, but yeah, X-Men, I agree. I barely remember a lot of it. Most of what I remember, I'm like, this is like kind of all the hallmarks of like the nadir of the ultimate universe. <laughs> and like bad X-Men comics yeah. in general, I think like. And like, I think, yeah, I, like I said, maybe more readable on like, uh, if you throw up any one issue of X-Men, Ultimate X-Men versus any one issue of Swamp Thing, like, I think you're probably going to read it and be like, I like the X-Men issue better. But yeah, largely forgettable is how I would characterize that one. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Okay, this one, I would imagine is different. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't have a good sense of how you're going to rank this I think at this point you should run down the rest of your list and I'll run down the rest of mine. Okay, so in my sixth place, and again, this is like this middle morass, I could probably switch, and I think this could be a function of how fresh it is in my mind, but right now my sixth place is Paper Girls. And like, you know, I think we've (laughs) gotten into a lot of like what we found frustrating about Paper Girls. And you know, like... Uh, no, maybe I. Oh, maybe I will. Sw- so my six and five are Paper Girls and Runaways, and I might be inclined to swap them. Like I think that, I just think that Paper Girls just gets too bogged down, and like I think it tries so much to do the like the le- to talk about the least interesting things that it can <laughs> like in a given situation. Like there's so much potential in the idea of like this like group of time traveling teen girls. And, like, all of, like, the things they get into and all the different time periods they go to. Like, the fact that, like, again, like, it's it, it's fun to imagine, like, that there's, like, a season of the show or, like, you know, or, like, three episodes of a show where they're in, like, the 1950s mm-hmm. and they have to, like, deal with that. Like, I think that, I think the structure is so strong and the characters are really strong. And then it, like, I think it really just squanders that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Whereas Runaways, I feel like, is maybe, like, some of his weakest writing in some ways, in terms of, I mean, like, certainly in terms of, like, how the, how everything is structured, like, I think it it often feels a little bit, like, fly-by-night in terms of the overarching plot elements of it, but, like, I think that definitely demonstrates his strength in, like, writing distinct characters and having that sort of like web of relationships I think is strong. I think there's some cool ideas in there. You know, it, it does go off the rails as well and maybe like focus <laughs> a little too much on like the things that it doesn't need to focus on. But yeah, those, those two are pretty, pretty on the same level in my mind as well as my number four, which is what do we, uh, Oh, right. I'm doing my whole thing now. Uh, yeah. My number four is private eye. Um, yeah, I mean, like, and it's again, like, when when I when I really like when I say it out loud, and then I start to think about the things that like maybe I didn't like as much uh, from the book, then I start to question a little bit. It, um, and of course, my my feelings about the noir genre are well documented <laughs> if you if you listen back to that episode. But but I do really like it. I I love the concept. I love a lot of the aesthetic stuff. I think the art is really fantastic, and maybe that is what would lead me to put paper girls above runaways as well as like that maybe is my favorite art of anything we've read so far. So yeah, I'll, I'll flip paper girls and runaways for, for that reason. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love, I love the art. I think the idea is really fun. You know, it's certainly it's, it's a departure for him, which I think helps when we're reading through all of his work. Uh, not that his work is samey per se, <laughs> but certainly like 
I think that in, like his it, it being more of a genre exercise and being more self-contained does yeah, help it a little. Definitely, the self-contained element is like well, it's not even just that it's self like all his all of this stuff is pretty self-contained except for Ultimate X Men. But well, it's like it being contained to ten yeah, issues and there's one sweet story and in its own standalone universe, uh, which is like yeah, not you can't say that about any of the other titles. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, I, I don't have a ton to say about that one. Like, I think it's just like pretty strong. Um, you know, it's, it's more of a, I, w- I wouldn't say a vanilla ice cream, but like, you know, it's not, it's not something that I really get that excited about, but it's not something that I get as down on as I do about the parts I don't like about Paper Girls and Runaways. My number three, pretty comfortably, is Saga. And I, I think that, you know, to talk about Paper Girls and sort of how, the distance might help. I think the distance has really helped with Saga. I think that, you know, the how memorable the characters are, how strong the cast is, like how funny it is. I, th- I think that with Saga, with some like you know, with with Swamp Thing or X Men, with distance, like you start to <laughs> forget the good and remember the bad. Whereas with Saga, I think I've started to forget the bad and remember the good more. And so even though I do have a lot of criticisms for that book, I think that. You know, it's they're, they're criticisms that were held up against the my my top two rankings on this list. Not to spoil things, I think that if you hold them up against those two, uh, it is a clear cut tier below. But I think that there are like a lot of things that it does well uh, that make it like a, a really fun read. Even though I I still don't understand why it is like the most popular <laughs> comic book. I actually I have a really tough time with the top two, which I imagine are the same as your top two. Um, but in the end, I go with Y over Ex Machina. I think Ex Machina is like, I mean, like, I love both of these comics. Like, I think they're really, really fantastically strong. I think Ex Machina, like, it has, like, not a cynicism to it, but certain, like a, a, an edge that I really appreciated. Like, it's it's edgy in a way that, like, that's not, like, in italics edgy. <laughs> Like, I think that it, it does, like, the grittiness of the the topics that it wants to touch on really effectively. I think it, like, paints its overall story really well. Like, it feels tighter than why, I think, from a plotting perspective. I think he had more of a sense of where he wanted to go with the overall book with this one more than he did with why. But why, I just feel like, like, why is, like, the messier one for sure, but it's also the one I like more. Like, it has a lot more emotional potency to it, like... I, I, I love the characters. You know, we talked about the characters in this episode. I, I love, like, what he does with the relationships between the characters and how unique he makes all the characters. And, you know, like, the, the really powerful emotional moments of why I think are, like, are his best work overall. And so maybe I I think Ex Machina is maybe the more consistently strong work. But when, like... But I find myself thinking about why more than I find myself thinking about Ex Machina. Maybe is is the deciding factor for me. So that is my list. Sure. I will, I will reread from eight to one: Swamp Thing, Ultimate X Men, Runaways, Paper Girls, The Private Eye, Saga, Ex Machina, and Why the Last Man. So I have uh, at number six Runaways, and at number five Paper Girls. Same as you. I think that what it basically boils down to is that they are so similar in a lot of ways and paper girls just reflects like how much he's grown as a writer compared to runaways. The characters 
the characters are just better. <laughs> like that's that's basically what it boils <laughs> down to. Both the plots are completely demented. I remind you all that Runaways is about sacrificing the entire Earth to the Gibberim. What are you talking about? <laughs> um they're yeah they're they're both quite wild story-wise and so what it boils down to basically is how you feel about what he did with the characters who are you know really what both of those books base their draw on and like yeah i i think that (laughs) he does a better job with the characters in paper girls i think that in terms of artistic collaboration i prefer cliff chang's art to adrian alfona's and i think that as a colorist, like having Matt Wilson on Paper Girls elevates it so much compared to like, it's almost unfair. Like, I feel like technologically speaking, like what could you even do in like 2006, 2005 compared to what he's able to do, you know, in 2017, 2018. But I do think that some of it is the artistic sensibility too. And the, the move away from the, the sort of like, let's try and like, do so much like gradients and try and like capture like realistic skin tones and things like that from that era into like it, it, it the the combination of chank's like very stylized art with wilson's colors just it's 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 a tier above it's just better <laughs> long long and short of it so so i have paper girls above runaways i have saga at number four i think that I have been pretty clear about both what I do and don't like about it. There's so much good in it, but there's also just so much bad in it. And I feel that you could cut a lot of the bad without losing too much of the good. It's a real white album situation um, <laughs> where it's like... Wow, hot take. Hey, here you go. So I was about to say, it's it's like certainly there are... 54 and soon to be counting issues of material here is the 54 issue version better than the 27 issue version <laughs> <laughs> you know we may never know it's it's obviously different in terms of like a narrative story versus an album like that but i do think as i've said many times that that series would benefit from uh, a good editor <laughs> at number three i have the private eye yeah, very similar to you. Uh, well, no, not very similar to you at all, actually. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think it boils down to like, I like noir, you don't like noir. I liked seeing him play in that universe. Um, I yeah. think even when we talked about it, like I just am higher on the book as a whole than you and Emilio were. I, I like the story. I do like the characters, even though like, you know, as, as we discussed at the time, like I do think that he has some of the same challenges there that he runs into with paper girls in terms of communicating some of the interiority that I think would have enriched the experience for, uh, for you at least. But I think that there's enough of it there that like, I, I come away from that and I'm like, I do have like affection for PI and for, um, you know, the whole, the whole Melanie and, uh, and you know, the client whose name I'm sure will come back to me eventually. <laughs> You know, I, I, I like that world. I think Marcos Martin uh, does incredible work in that. I think, again, the colors, the whole aesthetic, um, like the whole, the, the, the world building, which is something we have harped on regularly. I think like in The Private Eye, that's the example where it's like the most realized. He started with a strong concept and like, you know, he's, a, he's, 
<laughs> he's made some leaps that are a little bit insane, but it, he commits to them and then like kind of fleshes them out and be like, it, 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 you can you can get by with a certain amount of like, let's just assume that like the press did become the police. <laughs> like we're not necessarily concerned <laughs> with the how and why exactly. Let's just assume that they did. And then like he executes that concept well once you get past that initial like sort of like okay the press or the police if you say so um in a way that i think like he sometimes manages with saga and he sometimes doesn't slotting in at number two i have y and at number one ex machina this again i think basically just boils down to genre like i like i like superheroes <laughs> and so the superhero tinged comic is just gonna hit better for me the like more sort of like fantastical sci-fi is gonna hit better for me but why is a great comic why is one of like the first comics that i ever really loved but yeah i I think to revisit it now like not to say that it wasn't a great reading experience i still love it i still will read it and love it again in the future i'm sure but you know it, it did like going back to it with fresh eyes i was like you know what there is some fat on this book. There are some arcs that are like, don't really do it for me at all. Yorick is like extremely annoying for a lot of the book. And like, I get that it's it's about his growth, but that doesn't change the fact that you still have to spend a lot of time with the person that the book is like growing him out of being. And that's mm-hmm. annoying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> compared especially to Ex Machina, where they're are no annoying characters (laughs) and it yeah it does have that edge i think of cynicism compared to most of his other stuff but i think that that edge of cynicism is part of what has helped it age well despite you know being being an inherently political book um i think tony harris is a great artistic collaborator for him to like you know pia guerra was great she was she does a great job on why and so do the other artists but i do think that for the style of ex machina and that like kind of meeting of two like a superstar writer and a superstar artist and in that moment it was really sort of like a super group feel to the production of that book it it, it just has a certain amount of like star power and charisma just like as a result of that pairing that i think serves it well and yeah at the end of the day like I think anyone could tell me, like, I like Y better than Ex Machina. I think that's probably what most people do think. But as someone who is is a superhero guy, like, first and foremost, when it comes to the comics, like, the, it, it just has such a natural avenue into my heart, such a strong concept and such a good execution of the concept that it, uh, yeah, it has always been number one for me. I was interested to see if that would change going back, uh, and it really did not. It, it reinforced it for me if anything so my ranking again top to bottom number eight swamp thing number seven ultimate x-men number six runaways number five paper girls number four saga number three the private eye number two why the last man and number one x machina fantastic yeah i think i think that sure um yeah i mean like i I think you're right that people would probably mostly say they prefer why but i think it does ultimately come down to to that personal preference i think you're right okay is there anything else we need to discuss about vaughn before we uh tip our hand about 
what's happening over the next few weeks. Only to say that our three-hour conversation with him in depth uh, is coming coming very <laughs> soon. Thank you, Brian, it's for six months from to now. that. Uh, and uh, and we can't wait for everyone to hear what you think about NFTs and your virginity. And your virginity. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our uh does hot ones have a signature question that what's what's an interview uh i don't know andy richter's three questions it's got the runs as one question which is when did you lose your virginity andy richter's three questions yeah, he's got, he hosts a podcast called the three questions and the whole premise is just that he asks the same three questions to every guest cool good for you andy it seems very not funny i gotta say <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like a, a real like Open, open up your like heart and soul. It's a bit of a Pete Holmes type beat, big time. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's the here's what we've got going on. So get excited for this next week. And as as I alluded to last episode, this is like weirdly very apropos in a way that we did not intend at all. Um, I did not know what Paper Girls was about when this decision was made. But yes, next week for our one off special. We'll be covering uh, a piece of work that is a piece of near art, and dear please. to both of our hearts. Yes, a, a, it is a real piece of work as well, though. We'll be covering uh, from the. We will be delving into the Archie Comics universe, uh, a universe that we've not yet ventured into, and we will be covering none other than Jughead's Time Police, <laughs> specifically. So they put out a. a it's not a digest. It's a little bit higher quality, but like a digest-sized trade collecting the Jughead's Time Police Saga, which features the full six-issue Jughead's Time Police miniseries, two bonus prelude stories that I might have to look up where exactly they're from, and the full issue number two of the recent all-new Jughead series. I believe that is written by Ryan North and art by Erica Henderson from the, like relaunched archie line spearheaded by mark wade's archie they did like a time police homage it is a cult classic a cult favorite for sure (laughs) boy there's so much to say just about our relationship to this but you know what i'm gonna save it for the episode um save it for the pod this this Uh, this baby clocks in at like five bucks probably if you go to the right place and it's so crazy can't wait to talk about it yes uh for those who aren't familiar this is literally a story about jughead going to the future and becoming a member of the time cops in the vein of the old timers from paper girls it it self-describes as a cult classic on the front cover i just realized (laughs) that's so funny that's very good um but then after that uh so starting in two weeks or two episodes whenever those come out we will be covering our new mini series a much shorter mini series of uh, a, a, a stark left turn from brian k vaughn i will say we will be covering the work of marjan satrapi uh i think best known for her graphic novel persepolis which uh, was also made into a film so we will definitely be covering persepolis uh embroideries and hopefully uh, we we can find these right chicken with plums and the and lasai <laughs> doesn't say lasai on the tracker no um, no it just says the side yes i believe that i looked up that they are both findable it's it's she she has okay. there like there was something that i cut because it wasn't findable and also because it was like 
32 pages. <laughs> it's like we're not spending a full right. episode talking about 32 page like micro comic here. But yes. Right. Um, so here, here's where things get interesting. Because <laughs> uh, we will be definitely... So we will get, do a full episode of Persepolis. I believe a full episode on embroideries. And then probably a combo episode on Chicken with Plums and the Psy. So... There is a Persepolis film, a very well-regarded Persepolis film uh, directed by Satrapi. You know, won a bunch of awards. I definitely think uh, I, I think that we can have Emilio back or we can have someone else from his podcast, Can I Kick It, about film festivals. It would be great to have someone on to talk about that. There is also a Chicken with Plums film, which I it, it's in the same... Animated yeah. Yeah. Which Persepolis oh, is oh. also. I, well, I'm getting confused because she also directed the Marie Curie biopic. <laughs> yes, this is this is what I wanted to get into. I personally, uh, so I'm not sure about Gang of the Jotas, which I was looking up and is like a 75 minute. Uh, so early, early, earlier this year, you and I and other members of our family watched the film uh, What's Up, Doc? <laughs> mm-hmm. Surely. And I saw it described as, like, a what's up doc oh, for the okay. digital age. Well, here's what I'll say. <laughs> Persepolis, definitely. Like, makes sense. We're going to, we'll do we'll do an episode 100%. where we talk about Persepolis. The movie. The movie. Chicken with plums, maybe. If we can find <laughs> it, maybe. Uh-huh. The others. So, <laughs> Gang of the Jotas, I will concede. I would love to do... Maybe it's probably one episode. It's definitely one episode. I, I think, at like, most. if we are going to talk about the Chicken with Plums movie, it should be part of the discussion of Chicken with Plums, like, period. Because Chicken with Plums is ninety-six okay. pages. Like, it's not. It's, okay. It's okay. Not so, easy. so, so we can do that. And I'm provi- I, I would love to do an episode on both the voices, uh, a black comedy horror film. Directed by Marjana Satrapi, starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're interested. And, uh, and of course, the 2020 biopic, or 2019, uh, depends on how you choose to define release dates, but uh, the biopic Radioactive about Marie Curie, directed by Satrapi, starring Rosamund Pike. I, I simply I simply think it would be fun to do episodes on those. They're not comics. They're not related to comics. Radioactive is an adaptation of a graphic novel by Lauren Redness. So uh, so there is something there. But uh, but yeah, so I will, I will leave it in your hands. I, I we'll, have to we'll say, think about... I, I, as much as I am interested to watch those, and we can potentially discuss it, it to me it feels like too much of a departure from what the, what this podcast is actually about <laughs> i will i will record a separate episode if you if, if need be i will we get can, guests so, on to listen, talk about the voices and radioactive I, I would be open to potentially looking at those as like in between series episodes at some point i don't yeah, think or, like, or bonuses like as yeah we'll, we'll drop them we'll we'll drop like it'll be like we'll drop the last satrophy episode on a wednesday and then the vo- and then the voices <laughs> radioactive episode will come out on the Sunday or whatever. We'll we'll look into this. Yeah. But so for so at bare minimum, we'll say that this is how the next few weeks are going to look. So Jughead's Time Police, Persepolis, Embroideries, perfect, and then a perfect segue. Jughead's Time Police to Persepolis. <laughs> yeah. Paper Girls, Jughead's Time Police, Persepolis is a really no funny total trio. shift whatsoever there. 
And then we'll do the third episode of the series will be Chicken with Plums, The Sigh, and then also the Chicken with Plums movie. And then I think Persepolis should be after that as its own. The the movie Persepolis should be after that as its own discussion, maybe. We will we will work that out. We will let you guys know what is coming up. But yes. at any rate, Jenkins Time Police next week. Guaranteed lock uh, it in. Yeah, lock that in. And then on that episode, maybe by then we will be able to tell you what is coming up for the next few weeks. But yes, get get excited for that. Marjan Satrapi, uh, like I said, a departure certainly from Brian K. Vaughn. I think it is safe to say uh, we do have our next May series lined up as well because this is quite a short one. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, any, anything else uh, we need to do before we close up shop on old Bri Bri? No, I don't believe that there is. Uh, thanks for the memories, Brian. Listen, it all comes from a place of love. <laughs> <laughs> Peace and love. Peace and love. No uh, autographs, please. No more autographs. Thank you. <laughs> Just too many coming to my home. Peace and love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Don't forget to check out Get Back on Disney Plus if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. It is now February, of course. The revelation. Um, Um, but yes that is going to do it for us Uh, you can follow us at got the runs pod baby yeah at got the runs pod on twitter you can email us at got the runs pod at gmail.com okay so it's all the same (laughs) it is all the same everywhere strong branding Uh Um, don't forget to leave us our two stars on itunes or rather apple music um you know, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, send us an email, anything you want to do uh, to to help boost the show. We, of course, appreciate it. If Again, if you made it, you know, 150 minutes in to this uh, episode, <laughs> minus the 30 minutes we cut in the middle, <laughs> um, then thank you for that. Uh, and I think that for now, we will be stepping into our time portals and saying... To, to be, be continued. continued. <laughs> Only backwards. Here. 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 Here.